and welcome to an in-season episode of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stogden. Right, you little bastards! You will stand up straight or I will personally shit-kick every Sequelizer bug that appears before my eyes! Wow. Classic. Bracing. Japanese. <laughs> feature there. Yep. We're doing the films of Scotland. <laughs> well, some of our Scottish listeners will be very happy to hear that. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're not. Speaking of people who aren't Scottish, it's Tim Mayton. Find out everything you can about that masseur and those sequelizers. <laughs> <laughs> One and the same. <laughs> I used to be a masseur, fun fact. What? You don't know this. No? Yeah, that's a real Listen thing. Listen to both of us reacting to this. That's what? A, that's a real thing. I did masseur training when I was in uh, university. Who did you touch? <laughs> Mostly you, Matthew. I fucking knew it. What? I gave you your back pain. Oh, he he can was... giveth and I can taketh away. He was your mystery masked masseuse all these years. <laughs> I thought it was Ken Watanabe. I was, I was really going, <laughs> shit. I am Ken Watanabe. That is a little disappointing. Explains a lot. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I had a better quote, which was actually a quote from a film of a but I thought we'd go with something a little bit more funny. Good, yeah, it worked. Mm -hmm. It took me by surprise, I'm not going to lie. Were you screaming in a Scottish accent at me? Yeah. Wasn't expecting that. Considering we're covering samurai films this episode, <laughs> Matt went for the most Scottish option he possibly could. Well, it's a Scot doing an Irish accent badly. Is he doing an Irish accent? He's supposed to be Irish in that film. Fuck off. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. That's really? Yep. Really? Yep, seriously. Why? Why? How? That's why I mean, it's used little busters. It's better than a Scottish being uh, a Scottish guy being an Egyptian slash Spaniard a, yes. slash, slash Spaniard in yeah. a sort of samurai and film with a katana. A French <laughs> French Canadian being a Scotsman and a yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about samurai this week. Yeah, and samurai not, films, not Highlanders, not Highlanders. Mm? Matt, does that count as a samurai film? No. Okay, good. <laughs> because it has katanas in it, doesn't make it. But we'll get to this. We'll get into the definition and stuff. Before we get into the definition and all that kind of stuff, we'll go through the history. We'll go through some of our picks, as we often do on these interseason episodes. Let's give a lovely little shout out to the fantastic people who support us on patreon.com slash sequelizers. If you'd like to join those lovely people, you can do so, and you can get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, exclusive merch, discounts on merch, and a shout out on the show just like the executive producers this week. Josh van der Sluis. <laughs> Colin Thompson. <laughs> James McDowell. <laughs> Philip Morgan. The end is proving difficult. Hyper Dude Man. Xenos. <laughs> Zenos. 
Stuart Main. Jonathan Firth Clark. And Josh Miles. Well, thank you very much, executive producers. You make this interseason possible. You make our bonus exclusive interseason episodes possible. You make all the outtakes and the main season even bigger and better than it usually is. And we're getting closer and closer to season 10, boys. Oh, my God. My God. It's looming. We've got some real stinky pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> In a good way. Oh, guys, we've got some price turds for you. <laughs> You're going to love it. In a way, that's what they're here for, right? They yeah. want to hear us talk about big old stinky poops of sequels. They're here to see us polish the turds. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And every now and again, like within season, bring out some joyous moments for us to like literally just like, thank God we're not wading through shit yeah. this week. We actually talk about something good and then yeah. back to the shit. Yeah. And some <laughs> of the shit coming up in season 10 is the fault of the executive producers because they have picked uh, stuff for us to talk about. Oh. Yeah, they have the fuckers. We even have an executive producer pick for the interseason coming up next week as well. Oh, they got yeah. that to look forward to. Yeah. But before we get to all of that stuff, before we get to season 10, that's a few weeks away, let's talk. Samurai movie, shall we, gentlemen? Yes. Over to you, Matt. Uh, Tim and I'll go for a yeah. We we just go for a clock run. out for like yeah. forty-five minutes, yeah. and then yeah. You boys have a little sleepy. I'm gonna take yeah. Why yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also me? So um, <laughs> right. Uh, let's do a bit of a caveat here. We're mostly going to be exclusively talking about films shot in, around, and by Japan and Japanese people mm. because. There with are a, very, with a few notable exceptions. That's what I was going to say. There are a handful of things and a handful of examples uh, that have been done outside because the the export of um, Japanese culture to cinema from the 70s onwards has been, you know, Samurai played a huge part of it, as we'll get into a bit later. Mm. But it was ninjas. <laughs> and they're different. Yep. And we'll, we'll, we'll cover that sort of thing. But yeah, Samurai. Let's give you a boring history definition. Samurai are... Um, Retainers of a feudal lord. Um, so part of Japanese history, you would have a, a, a sort of class of individual. You would be born samurai, both male or female, and you would fight for your respective lord, your daimyo. Mm -hmm. uh, this would carry on through history. Uh, the sort of rise and fall of them accordingly because they are um, a kind of military arm with sort of other backgrounds and things. I'm, I'm, doing, mm -hmm. I'm really butchering the history, but this is kind of the point I'm getting to. Um, and then at the end of the sort of... Um, isolation period with the major restoration samurai were phased out very quickly uh the shinsengumi came in which is like a sort of military police um to sort of stop them from being a thing effectively mm. um if you'd like a a nice uh summary mm. just stick history of uh japan bill Wurtz in uh, uh, in in youtube oh yeah yeah hire a samurai everyone started hiring samurai rich important people hired samurai Peasants didn't hire samurai. Yeah. <laughs> Rich, important samurai. people did hire samurai. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a huge part of the history. And then, obviously, when you got uh, late 1900s, early... Um, sorry, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, big transition to industrial movements and such. Mm -hmm. And then it goes very dark for a long period of time yeah. with, you know, war. And then 
the, what's called the Japanese miracle, everything gets better and so on and so forth. And as Tim said, there is a really good, uh, sort of beautiful summation of all this. But the key point here is the samurai have been a um, integral part of the history of Japan. Mm. And because they've been an isolation nation who cut their borders off for 200 odd years mm. um, and, and resisted modernizing technology. And so their warfare yeah. stayed the same for a very long time. Yeah. Part, part of the reason why during that major period we mentioned earlier, it was because like, we're going to just have railroads and guns and a modern army and all that stuff. Mm. Like, why is that? Because the black ships turned up, that's what they're called, um, and mostly the, the British and the Dutch and other people and the mm. Americans. And it's like, we're telling you we're doing this and mm. we can outgun the shit out of you. Yeah. Um, the star like, of the whole nine yards showed up. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, so yeah, essentially it was... American it, naval history joke for you there. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's in the same way that in Europe, uh, the history of knights is a big thing, mm. and it's not what we think it is. Um, you know, the idea that, oh, a knight in shining armor has been a, it's, it's part of mythology, it's part of legend, it's part of history, mm. um, and each one has a different take on what it means to be chivalrous or true or honorable or brave, etc., etc., etc. But also a lot of really simple, um, mundane shit like keeping charge of land and collecting taxes these are all mm. part of it and the samurai is a similar thing that's been again myth legend history i think there's three kind of pillars to that i always think about especially in terms of cinema around the sort of era that where we'll get on to in a minute of course where samurai kind of was reborn in in cinema in the 50s and stuff like that with mm. people like Akira, mm. kurosawa coming through you have the knights and the that kind of Arthurian stuff in the more European side of things. Yeah. Cowboys and Westerns in America. Yes. And samurai in Japan. Mm -hmm. And kind of like the three pillar there very you know can very easily equivalently kind of balance the three of them out yeah. and say, yeah, there's chivalry and there's like loyalty to your lord and all this mm. kind of stuff and loads of different kind of similarities between those three kind of different mm. parallel histories, parallel mythologies going through Completely and, different sections yeah. of history throughout the world. Yeah, and three kind of genres, so to speak, where a code of behavior was very important. With cowboys, it's a lot more informal. Like, there wasn't mm -hmm. a cowboy code of conduct. Um, well, you had the white hats and the black hats. Well, exactly, yes. I think that's, there was, yeah. There was, there was very much an expect, expectation, especially in genre fiction about cowboys, rather than the actual reality of cowboys, but they're... In genre fiction, there was a, an expectation of how cowboys and men in that period were supposed to behave. Yeah, and obviously, yeah. if you look at medieval knights and that kind of thing, you have chivalry mm. and ro you know the romances and stuff like that. Yeah, and then over to Japan and samurai, you have bushido and and very rigid expectations of you know mm. this is how this class of people is supposed to behave. But contrast that and across all these three things with an expectation of violence mm -hmm. and it's how how do you balance that idea of responsibility and violence at the same time mm. yeah no, that's entirely it and i think this is interesting as well because i think i think you're not necessarily wrong tim with the idea of genre because they become their own genre and there's subgenres within them because it's kind of a setting because it, it's very much a regional genre no but mm. you can see versions of westerns in space or in australia mm. but a inverted commas true blue western has to be in the Midwest of America. Yeah, in the yeah. same way that if you make a samurai movie, 
um, outside of Japan, it becomes almost a subcategory. And I was yeah. saying, it's not a thing because yeah. it has the same and, structure, same things. But and those two genres are so intertwined. As, I'm, as again, mm. I'm going to say this a lot. Like, yeah, those are so related to each other. Again, in that era of the '50s, where mm. those two genres really kind of took over cinema in their respective countries. Yeah, and how famous cowboy films are remakes of samurai films and famous samurai films of remakes of cowboy films. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somehow they've ended up remaking each other over the years. <laughs> yeah. All this crazy shit. And you realize like, is Magnificent Seven just the seven samurai cowboys? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. That Unforgiven film from like mm-hmm. five or six years ago, just Unforgiven from the 90s. <laughs> yes, it yeah. is. Like, oh, so yeah. Where did Kurosawa learn to, to shoot things like Seven Samurai? Mm. Watching old uh, John Ford films. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, exactly. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the only example I can think of where it's like westerns that aren't American, inverted commas, is spaghetti westerns. Mm. But even but then... They're trying to be American. They're trying to be as American as they can, yeah. yeah. Incredibly yeah. Just Italian. happens to be shut in Spain most of yes. the time. <laughs> yeah. That's the only difference. Montana, by the way, of Italy. You know? yeah, exactly, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And that, that idea of like changing the context is, is interesting because you take something like Star Wars, which is essentially... European fairy tale structures with like wizards and knights and yep. stuff like that. Good and evil and all that kind of bollocks, mm. yeah. In space. And also taking samurai elements in space mm-hmm. with the kind of order of, you know, spiritual warriors and that uh, kind of thing. And Darth Vader's helmet is very it, clearly a samurai yeah, helmet. Yeah. And a lot of the plot of Hidden Fortress. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. And then also Western stuff in space, you yes, know. And yes. and yeah, you're exactly right in that there there's this sort of genre elements that you can transplant but that turns it into something else mm-hmm. so the setting and the genre are very heavily in t- tied up yeah and i think it's 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 the two two major things i think of when this samurai movie people bring up things in. Mm. you will think actually maybe maybe three. Ooh. One is the setting mm-hmm. as in where it is mm. it's um either obviously it's like it's in japan Mm. or and it's almost always exclusively the past it's obviously almost always a period piece or it is something that is imitating the mindset and um character study of these kind of things Mm. the second thing is uh aesthetic Mm. in that uh armor and swords and um just this uh cool blocky sandals yeah everything about it is is going to be down to Again, partly the setting, but even then, if you remove the setting and take it into, like, say, for America or anywhere else that you happen to be telling a story, like, oh, it's a samurai story, but it's set in place some, you know, medieval Europe. It's like, mm. guess what you're bringing with you, though? A lot of strong markers. And the third thing is, is that that very strong, um, that very strong story in that code, that idea, and it, this is where it becomes a bit tricky because most samurai stories are inherently pitching to and around men. Mm. Um, I'm not saying exclusively like oh, women because I said, cause again I said before women were samurai. Mm. It was about being you know fighting for and being quite of noble birth and things like that, etc. Yeah. etc. But when these stories are pitched to people, it's about usually like oh, a brave warrior fighting for his love and his his uh, house or his lord or his or whatever, clan. Yeah, yeah, it's always yeah. a big thing like that. Or alternatively, someone who's so disillusioned that he's on his own wandering and he can't figure out what he is. And... Ah, the wandering Ronin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, it's very rarely told from a woman's perspective. Well, as we see later, you do see that, but when it's an exploitation movie. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, again, with a similarity to Westerns and, and kind of yeah, medieval, historical, I don't know quite what you term it, knights shit. Yeah. Um, Night shit. Night shit. Uh, we're dealing 
often with a very stylized and inaccurate version of history. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And then, obviously, the closer we get to modern times, you often get these, you know, sort of like the kind of revisionist westerns or new westerns where it's like, oh, no, this is a more... We try to be more historically accurate with what this is. And you mm. also get samurai films that do exactly the same thing, where it's like, we have this image of the samurai as the you know the noble warrior who has mm. a code of behavior or yeah or and then the subversion of it of you know the wandering one who you know kind of doesn't give a fuck mm -hmm. but often the truth was kind of those two things were a bit the same you know in certain yeah. ways and yeah you know and and again that opens it up to more women perhaps appearing in those things because that was historically accurate it just wasn't yeah. the story that we've been presented with over the years. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing uh, as a strange parallel. If you were to say, I want to tell a story, uh, a period piece about police in the 1800s or soldiers on the front line of the Napoleonic War. It's like, yes, you can't do a blanketed coverall for all of them. You will have all different personalities. and It will mm. always be, you know, as with contemporary experience. Um, uh, well-intentioned good individuals and bastards. Mm. Samurai is no different. Yeah. Bushido's a code, yes, and Bushido's a thing, but we, we, we over-sentimentalize, we'll get into this later, but we're over-sentimentalizing things because usually what the audience are at that time. Mm. It's, it's always fascinating to me that while Westerns have sort of rose very steeply and fell off a cliff, um, but still stuck around. People like the mm. idea of it and they, they like the aesthetic and they mm. like what they're doing with it. Gonna possibly win an Oscar in a few weeks i mm. think i think brother dog might actually again great great mm. example of western not your classic average you know sort of mm. like tale we'd expect from westerns like but it's still there all the components are there mm. um but that being said um you aren't just getting this very straightforward everybody's exactly the same cookie cutter character sort of select screen of here mm. here's the individual and how they all are etc um it's a huge period of time and it's almost always reflecting what society's doing at the time. So I said Western's falling mm. out of favor and things like that, whereas samurai films up and down a bit. Mm. And it's very much talking to the Japanese audience, mm. depending on where their headspace is at the time. Yeah. Well, uh, f films and, and anything that looks back to history, so historical fiction or whatever. Yes. Ultimately, it's always about now, even when it's about the past, because it's a product of the society it's produced 100 percent in. Absolutely. So, it. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um so let's let's take you on a little bit of a journey just to get you through an idea of how these things evolved. Because I yes. think you may be thinking of like, oh yeah, no, I love so the idea of samurai films. And I'm like, well how many have you seen? And was that how many think you are? Oh, I can name hundreds of them. And it's like how many do you think there actually are though? Obviously, we're talking about yes. Obviously, in in English speaking nations, um, and Europe and America and things like that, you you have access to certain versions, mm. and you usually get the the best of them. Yeah, typically. Yeah, and the same way that you know, Americans will see a lot of British stuff, but we'll see the things that we want you to see on BBC or some yeah good series. We like, we got so much crap you're not seeing because you we're can't not, export everything. We're not sending two pints of lager and a packet of crisps over there. How rude. Yeah, that's a that's a great example actually because I'm, <laughs> I'm like, eh, yeah. but that's the the reason I bring this Although up. Although tragically, yeah. a thing I found out recently, not to derail derail us entirely, Go ahead. the new Medea film, oh, has, with Mrs. Brown has boys. Mrs. Brown in it of Mrs. Brown's boys. Yeah, I saw that. So occasionally we do send the worst. Yeah, knock to, yourselves out to to you know our trash meets their trash. Yeah, 
<coughs> the only reason I bring it up Mrs. is because... Mrs. Brown's voice is Irish, by the way. I'm not claiming... <laughs> that, that's your problem, Matt. That's, oh, I know. That's your bad export, not mine. No, I know. Uh, we have no excuses. Yeah, yeah. It's popular in Britain, but... Popular in Ireland too, unfortunately. Yeah, of course it is. It's also, you know, hated and beloved, as all shit things tend to be. Yeah. Um, but no, the, the reason I bring this up is because a lot of American fiction and culture and stuff is... Uh, exported without filter. It's like here's everything. I'm like, yeah. Oh fuck me. It's it's. I mean, you at least you know it's all like. Oh, you should understand this. You should know this. And like, even the smallest stuff is sort of broadcast around just in case mm. you might want to see it or whatever. Anyway, so the 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 simple origins of the samurai movie is an evolution from kabuki theater, mm-hmm. in that it is morality tales and you know. um period dramas and you know it's all it's all very akin to folklore and legend and stuff so you got Orochi in 1925 priest of darkness 1936 47 ronin will coming back to this multiple times yeah mm-hmm. in 1941 now that's an important one so we'll dwell on that for a second so there's not as many as you'd think there would be like oh the silent movie era be tons of samurai things it's like not as many as you might think mm. um and that's Japan at the time doing a lot of weird, awful stuff and war crimes in China. Yeah, also yeah, also dealing with a war. At the- <laughs> yeah, so there's I mean, obviously industries are going, but 1941 is well for, for as far as you know uh, America is concerned, where World War II starts. Mm. Um, and 47 Ronin came out in Japan, and 47 Ronin is an old classic legend and tale about these 47 samurai who um, their lord is. Um, I don't have the whole story now. Basically, killed. They they go on a revenge quest. Basically, yeah, and they like disguise themselves as beggars and That's exactly, make yeah. their way into the the guy who's like the rival lords. Yes, and that, well, they, yeah, and... they get revenge and then they want the honor of killing themselves uh, by seppuku, which is the uh, ritualistic sacrificial way of killing yourself with a short sword, stab your own stomach open, have a second to hopefully cut your head off, so that sort of stuff. So you don't suffer as much. Um, very big part of Japanese history and things is the collective mindset. Uh, whereas in, in Britain, especially in a lot of Europe, it's individualistic and own personal drive, but there is the community mindset. And also suicide. Suicide is a, I mean, obviously trigger warning, I apologize for talking about that sort of stuff, but the idea that suicide is a huge, huge part of Japanese culture because it's the whole, if you fail, kill yourself. And it's a weird logic for us because like, you know, um, a lot of European literature and and history and folklore is about no 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 i will overcome adversely i will do this and i will achieve this um which is um and as seen as one of the cardinal sins and a lot of christian values and very stuff, much which so. is very much what influences our kind of morality here yeah. in the west most of the time if you were burying someone during like uh the, the crusades for example who was uh commit suicide you have to cut their head off to so where they go to hell or whatever it was a lot of bullshit like that so it's, it's really brutal and awful but the point is very different mindsets we're seen as an honorable um, honorable death, etc., and to die on the battlefield and that sort of thing. And this came out at a time that galvanized a lot of Japanese people because it was basically propaganda. And once World War II ended, that film specifically, and any version of the 47 Ronin, was outlawed. And because obviously American occupation, that extended to, you will not make nationalistic samurai movie at all. Um, or movies, I should say. Because it was that whole, 
I mean, it's, it's a post-war thing. They're a defeated nation. And the classic reaction is always like, we're going to occupy your country mm. and batter the crap out of you. So yeah. um, I don't know if people know the sort of terms and conditions for surrender for Japan, but it's like, you cannot form an army. Yeah. And if a lot of your history is these noble warriors formed armies to protect their nation and rise up, it's like, no, no, mm. no, no, none of that shit. You can yeah. stop that right now. So very much as we go into the late 40s, It'd be like nothing. If we if Britain got invaded, they would burn Sherwood Forest to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's about robbing rich people. They probably want to do yeah. that anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly right, though, Tim. So we then transition from like the occupation, everything being banned for a while, and it's sort of associated. Then we hit the motherfucking golden age of samurai movies, and the fifties. The fifties, yeah. right at the top of it, is Akira Kurosawa. Heck yeah, my. Boy, one of the greatest directors in the history of cinema. Go a little further than that. You say the you say the greatest director in the He's history. He's my of favorite. Cinema? Um, uh, that's two as we've established on the show. There, two very different things. I, I, <laughs> I said one of the greatest, not yeah, one of my favorite. One I of the know. greatest. I, I think he is a definite contender for the greatest. He, director I of all time. totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, I don't think contender it's a very, for one. Yeah, the, the best ever. If not one of the best, yes. ever, mm. for sure. I don't think a lot of people would go, whoa, 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 now. It's yeah. like, no, no, he's in the conversation every time with like Kubrick and everyone else. And, Universally yeah. acclaimed, one of the most yeah. influential people in the history of cinema. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, and you get some really interesting things coming about from that. So it, 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 again, Japan's in a weird place emotionally because of the war. There was a lot of this sort of like, oh, we were supposed to be like this noble empire gaining land that's what mm. everyone did during you know well pre-time between world war one and two they gained more land and expanded yeah and it's like no you were assholes and you were committing war crimes and you will learn about this and say like, oh shit that that, that pushing that pressure etc etc yeah and also dealing with the fact that they had been on britain's side in world war one yes. and had technically like been been on the quote-unquote good side yeah and yeah had been welcomed to the League of Nations and been like, yeah, okay, you're part of the this new global world. Yeah. And then no like fight, 20 no years, wars, right? Yeah, 20 years later, it was like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, okay, what do all the other League of Nations people do? Like Germany and um, France and mm. England stuff like, well, they had, you know, empires and they colonized things. So like, yeah. we could do that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, maybe don't. Yeah, no, we've changed the rules now. Now we've got our empires. You're not allowed to make empires anymore. Yes, that, yeah, that's exactly it, yeah. But South Korea, what's well, sorry, South, the Korean Peninsula is just yeah, there. Yeah. And then, you know, China, yeah. like, knock it off. Um, so yeah, th this is all part of it. So then you get this idea of the romantic reinvention of what Japanese um, symbols to aspire to could be. So it's not just the idea of the, of the 47 Ronin and fighting world. It becomes, these are the best of our ideals, mm. the code, the individual. And so... I mean, Rashomon is a different one because the sort of samurai we're talking there more like we talk about the thief story and the, Rashomon's an old classic Japanese tale. But you see things like um, Gate of Hell, 1953, Seven Samurai, very specifically Seven Samurai, 1954, because that talks about the futility of war as well, mm. about how the idea of these... It's in a strange time period where the samurai aren't uh, as as they would have been taught through other, you know, expressions of, of, of Kabuki theater, et cetera, et cetera. So it's the moral story. Yes, but it feels more like a gritty, realistic version at the time. Yeah. Um, then you get the samurai trilogy, also Shirimafuni, um, bloody spirit, Mount Fuji in 55 hidden fortress 58 for more of a sort of fun, um, 
sort of uh, not family friendly but kind of family friendly versions you mm. see all these different tales iterations and they again they had this almost romantic fairy tale like quality mm. that they are telling these classic stories like we we were a good people we did good things look at this we can be this again it's that you know inspirational thing and so people going back to the cinemas and they're seeing this stuff and this is fantastic um and it's making a shit ton of money but also more importantly they're being shot like westerns in a weird way mm. and kurosawa especially is shooting things in in a way that makes them incredibly compelling yeah and captivating and just draws you in so yeah it's 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 insane how popular these things were in the, the western is a wonderful comparison at the time like i said they're so intertwined they're so related to each other in that as you said they were dominating cinema in their respective countries and mm -hmm. have gone on to influence so much of what we know now mm. star wars being the obvious one you mentioned earlier tim and so many other things in so many different ways shit you don't realize is influenced by this thing whereas a remake of this thing and even you touched on throne of blood previously matt mm. talking about how like by the way Kurosawa did probably the best on-screen version of a Shakespeare play. Yeah, just twice, twice. Yeah. <laughs> he ran as well, obviously. Yeah, mm. he did Macbeth and King Lear. Fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> it's mad. Like yeah. how genre-bending Kurosawa was at the time, because I know that he received a lot of criticism around that sort of time, being like too Western influenced. He did, mm. and there was this big kind of backlash from the kind of Japanese nationalist side and being like mm. you should be making things that are proud to be Japanese you don't need so much violence you know we don't want to dwell on the violence in our history because mm. it's post World War 2 it's a very yeah. sensitive time politically yeah. mm. and historically in Japan and like we said now he's regarded as one of the greatest directors one of the most mm. influential filmmakers in history mm. but at the time he was weirdly controversial and faced quite a lot of criticism from his peers in Japanese cinema yeah mm. Because alongside the samurai stuff, he was also doing like just regular uh, crime-based series. And this was a time when Japan was really, really dangerous. And there were tons of like kidnappings and the Yakuza were around mm. and, and really great gaining, um, gaining steam and stuff. So yeah, it was this uh, interesting transitional period for Japan. Because we think of Japan now in a very contemporary sense. Of like, oh, wow, yeah. All this culture and all this cool mm. stuff is like... Oh, yeah, it's like the future over there. Yeah. That's a very recent thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that that Western, both in terms of the West and the genre mm. influence, makes so much sense when you consider the post-war years when there was American occupation. In the yeah. same way that the reason anime and manga are so big in Japan is because there was this sudden influx of Disney stuff uh, yeah. in the yeah. in the immediate post-war because they, in the same way that they stamped down on certain Japanese stuff like samurai films. They were flooding it with like, here, read some comic books about Mickey Mouse. It's like, oh, yeah. that's good. We can do this as well, you know. But much better. <laughs> but much better. Here's Astro yeah. Boy. Yeah, uh, exactly. And um, so, yeah, you had all these John Ford and, and other Westerns from, you know, the 30s and 40s that got brought in and put in cinemas in Japan. And so, of course, you'd come, you know, 10 years later, those have become an influence on yeah. the directors who were then, you know, working and on Kurosawa, you know, he would have seen those films alongside the the Japanese films that he was watching. Yeah. And then, you know, the then the 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 sort of the feedback loop obviously Japanese cinema wasn't quite as accessible in you know, we there there wasn't someone, you know, they 
Japan didn't then turn around, invade America and force them to watch a bunch of samurai films. <laughs> yeah. But you had filmmakers like Lucas and Spielberg and stuff like that who were seeking out mm. Japanese mm. cinema that then influenced them and, and went on to influence other Westerns and, and stuff like that. You know, So there was yeah. that, that no, two-way yeah, yeah. channel. Yeah, and I think it is, it's so weird because it, it, there are a handful of events that if they went a different way, everything takes a different course. Um, I know this is a really derivative thing to say, but bear with me. Um, so, um, Tim's obviously exactly on the money there. Um, obviously, it's Tim. It's Tim. Um, you have this thing where, where with Kurosawa, for example, he was making propaganda films during the war because he was a filmmaker and Japan told him he had to. Yeah. yeah. That's I, it's like, what skills have you got? I make films. Great. You make them about war now. Yeah. It's like, oh, God. Um, and they're not good. He doesn't know. Hairdresser, good job. You're cutting troop hair now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Don't fear country. Um, and interestingly, 1950 is when uh, Rashomon came out. And Rashomon's um, part of the big. But we still talk about this today. There's so many movies. I mean, I talked about it in um, uh, The Last Jewel, the most recent, yes. uh, one of the most recent mm. um, Ridley Scott films. A Rashomon style structure. Mm. And for those who don't know, it's a story, it's a trial, basically. And the story of. Uh, a bandit or a thief, basically, uh, a noble lord and and um, his wife, and the, the the lord and the wife are going through the forest. I think lord maybe a bit grandest for what it actually is, but they're going through the woods and they come across this bandit, and the whole situation is all three perspectives and how they see each other, how they tell their story, and there's a woodcutter afterwards who gives them what may be the real iteration of what actually happened. But that unreliable narrator, that telling the same story multiple times over from different perspectives, etc. It's not necessarily new to cinema, mm. but it did it in such a way they hadn't seen before that it was released, I think, um, at Cannes, the Cannes Film Festival, mm. maybe Berlin, but it was the Cannes Film Festival, I think. And it got around quickly before I think even Kurosawa knew about it. Mm. And then it got to America and all of a sudden people were like, what the hell is this? <laughs> this is amazing. And obviously at that time, American films, a lot of strong stuff was in color. It was pushing forward technical stuff. There was mm. big productions, but this simple little independent style story mm. in different language, making its way over different continents. Everyone said, it's astonishing. It started this ball rolling of like, Japan's got some interesting stuff. 54 mm. comes around, Seven Samurai and Godzilla come out in the same mm. year. And you're like, holy shit. Yeah. And you're also... You're in the height of the studio, well, not quite the height of the studio system, but you're still in oh, the you're, studio you're system deep in it, yeah. at that point. And so there's, and there's, you know, there's the Hayes Code and all those kind of things that yep. are controlling what Hollywood can produce. And so when you have an outside influence that can do different things and tell stories in different ways, it's going to feel like it's come down from the moon or something. Exactly. And it's, you're right, it's just it's so alien. It's mm. like, you can't talk about this. You can't show this. Mm. And it's a silly thing to say, but it's like, he filmed the sun. <laughs> um, there's a bit in Rashomon where they're walking through the forest. And uh, um, I mean, it sounds so obvious now um, with, you know, fucking Abrams lens flares everywhere. Mm. But a lens flare used to be, a, you fucked up, you're getting fired. Mm. Um, you wouldn't want to see that sort of stuff. It's, it's realistic and it makes us feel like you're actually in the film and things. And it, gives it, a, 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 it can give it an emotional impact now. But at the time, it was you've buggered this. The yeah. whole thing is ruined because you've ruined the illusion. And now it's the same thing with like getting water on the lens or dirt. It's like, oh my god, I feel like it me in the shit. As opposed to you've ruined that shot. 
yeah. Now, now I'm breaking the the moment and I'm breaking mm. my train of thought. Um, so the idea was like you also when you film the sun with like actual film negative, it's like you are probably yeah gonna break it. So rather than shooting this orb in the sky, it was the sun peeking through the various uh, heads of the trees. Mm. And again, that was one of the first times in cinema anyone had done that. So this film was bringing things narratively, sort of the structure through the Shiro Mifune's fucking over the top performance. I was like, why is this? It's insane. And again, as we were saying, it creates that intrigue, that mm. interest. And there's more and more and more of it coming out faster and faster. Um, also the source of one of the best Simpsons jokes. Oh. Uh, when they're traveling to Japan and Marge says to Homer, come on, Homer, Japan will be fun. You loved Rashomon. And Homer goes, that's not oh, how I, I remember, remember it. There it is. Yes. Yeah. That is subtle. That's brilliant. That's a 90s um Simpsons have ever heard Simpsons one. Simpsons being fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah that Japanese episode is an all-time classic. Yeah, makes sense. So, we then step out of the 50s and things get, like most things do, really interesting because obviously now it's got big studio heads like Toho and stuff are doing, like, you know, pushing these big big things and big budget stuff. But then you get these small morality pieces as well and you start to get more horror stuff as well and you, you get more... It's not just Samurai being this big period epic war film. It becomes a, what if it's just about one guy? What if it's just about two women who are cats? Like, mm. What? <laughs> um, so you end up with stuff like, uh, and, and, and we'll come back to this later, but the tale of Zatoichi and the idea that there's a blind uh, samurai wandering around. And there are a lot of those movies. There's 30 plus in one run and there's multiple different iterations. Then you get uh, Three Outlaw Samurai, very Western style, as in Western the genre. Um, Sword of Doom is fantastic. Uh, that's that's a real, if you want to, if you like, we're going to have a lot of recommendations, everybody, don't worry. Um, but it's a dark, dark movie. Um, and you start taking away the idea like, what if, you know, these noble lords and these noble, um, noble born individuals aren't just that? What if they're in fact desperate murderers who don't give a shit anymore? They're desensitized to things. It's like, that would be terrifying yeah yeah and then you get um samurai rebellion uh kuroneko is as one mentioned for that these women these peasant women who are raped and killed by samurai and they come back as sort of like ghost ghost spirits yeah, spirits yeah and murder samurai and simply yeah. like the onibaba as well in a way it's like yeah because again it complicates and muddies the water it's like maybe these people weren't the perfect virtuous individuals we thought they were especially kurosawa's kind of pushing because i think kurosawa has like a long history line of being descended from samurai in theory mm. so he's always got a slight twinge of like they're the best version of us mm. and then 10 years later it's like maybe they weren't all yeah. good maybe some were big fucking shits yeah <laughs> yeah the kurosawa tend to be even if they're kind of fuck-ups and a little bit raggedy mm. they're still inherently good yes yeah it's just the circumstances against them yeah uh or or, or some crazy mad overseeing lord has has, it's it's the admiral in Star Trek. The mm. captains are good, but the admiral's crazy. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Then you get into the pinky violence sort of era of exploitation stuff, and you get orgies of Edo, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, Lady Snowblood, and it's more about how violent can we get with this? Now we're pushing color. How mm. really like over the top? Let's make it like again at the same time. You got like kung fu movies coming out. You get very much this really exciting dynamic camera stuff. Mm. But it's so over the top. In the same way, spaghetti yeah. westerns, so over the top. Yeah, such a departure from what you were seeing in like a classic uh, John Wayne western, mm. as well as Clint Eastwood saying. And, and it's kind of that classic model of 
if something is genre, uh, exists in a genre and becomes very popular, mm-hmm. either it starts out from a very like crass, exploitative place. Yep, yep, and becomes popular, and then you get like classy versions of it. Yeah, or it starts out classy, and as as it gets popular, you start getting the exploitative versions <laughs> of it. Yes. That's entirely yeah. That's entirely it. I think, um, but then of course it then as I put oh, it, and then it cycles around again. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. It just keeps <laughs> keeps looping. Pretty much, the, yeah. Um, obviously, bounce to you guys for this, but from there, from that seventies exploitation, it's like you start getting the experiment, the formula. Mm. You then get in the same way that, as Jack mentioned, Kurosawa doing like Macbeth and having his version. Suddenly, you get this rise, as Tim mentioned, of certain new wave directors in the seventies and in. Uh, outside the sort of sort of outside the studio system saying mm. i want to do something that feels like this and you get people like lucas and mm. leone and other individuals making things that are imitation or drawing things very heavily from yeah. that sort of stuff and and it's also the thing of as we touched on because western and medieval and samurai stuff are tend to be pretty straightforward apart from you know that obviously there are cases like Rashomon which you know quite complex storytelling and stuff but even the the core concept of Rashomon it can if you strip out the the setting and the details of of the location and and yeah the setting and and you know all those kind of things the signifiers of those things those stories are so transferable to other things it's yeah. very easy to take a samurai story strip out the samurai elements and turn it into a western um, and you so it used the last jewel as a perfect example there, Matt. Oh, literally, it's Rashomon. It's yeah. a story about With funnily knights. enough medieval knights yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and then it's told by three different perspectives, and it, it's not the remake of Rashomon, but it's using a similar kind of structure to tell a different story and mm-hmm. give the audience a different perspective. You're totally right, Tim. You can take these templates and these archetypes and these structures that are so embedded in so much of that samurai like mm. 50s, 60s, 70s kind of cinema, mm. translate that into you touched on like Lone Wolf and Cub earlier which is yep. incredibly influential manga and cinema yeah. and TV series and mm. all kinds of stuff really long enduring told many different ways, mm. sort of the fucking Mandalorian yeah, but, yeah. yeah I mean yeah, like <laughs> so, L- Lone Wolf and Cub is a great example because there's mm. so many things where I've read about stuff and either I have gone or a reviewer has gone, oh, it's Lone Wolf and Cub, but, but yeah. with the ma- sewer mutants in a in yeah. a underground futuristic New York yeah. or with yeah. with a Wolverine. Know, yeah, with a wolf <laughs> yes. It's it's sewer mutants, but with Hugh Jackman. No, yeah. not sewer human. <laughs> Lone Wolf and Cub. I'm gonna stop talking now. <laughs> I think Lone Wolf and Cub is a good example because you get that tough guy has to learn to look after a smaller or younger thing that needs to be protected and yep because it's such a story of cracking someone's outer shell and them learning like humanity and humility and all this kind of stuff Mm. which is such a fundamental human thing about like Mm. oh this guy's learning to open up about his emotions and learning what it means to be human isn't just like life isn't all about death and suffering there's actually nice things and he can be a positive influence he's been a bad influence for so long but now he can be a positive influence there's something in the world and that little ray of sunshine. It's like your pro- listeners, you're probably thinking of like 
a dozen different fucking yeah. stories as I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like even even things like I know you love Leon the Professional. Like yeah, that's a lone go. wolf and cub story. Because <laughs> yeah, it's always the version where it's like that little thing that they're looking after. Hmm. Just as fucking deadly. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, they don't always come with a little cart full of gadgets and tricks and stuff. No. They should do. Push a little lever and these little tiny swords come out of the bottom of the wheels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, Grogu is basically that. It's just like, feed him a frog and then he lifts up a thing with the force. He goes and calms down the big scary monster for the fifth time. Yeah. Yeah. Choke someone out. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) Force lightning. <laughs> and, and, you know, the other thing about all of these genres that we're, you know, talking about the way that these stories can be transferred is that they are genres that feature violence and action, which is obviously cinematic. People love it. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> yep. it's thrilling. It, it, you know, And you can do those in le- various levels, whether you do something very exploitative and gratuitous with blood flying everywhere. You do something yeah, very classy. You do something very you know, thrilling with, you know, kinetic cinema and, Mm -hmm. you know, exploring because action cinema is always evolving. There's always new ways to tell these stories and to take a, uh, a genre story and go, okay, let's fuse it to the predominant kind of action mode of the day. You know, okay, what if we did a shaky cam samurai film and also it's in space, you know, there's, there's so many, it's imagine like having kind of a big three wheels where you know one of them's got like sam a, a genre one mm. of them's got a setting and one of them's oh, got yeah. like a, a yeah. version like a, a type of action and you just kind of spin all three and go ah oh, okay well this time we're telling we're we're taking a story from a western mm-hmm. uh except we're transferring it to an undersea kingdom and also there's going to be lots of bullet time yeah Brilliant. No, that, the, yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> yeah. And the thing is that the influence has felt so long. Obviously, in the 70s, in the 60s, you get a lot of it. So you get, obviously, Sergio Leone doing, uh, and I, I mean, like, direct remakes um, with uh, A Fistful of Dollars. Yeah. You get The Magnificent Seven. Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get um, Star Wars is a weird one. Yeah, it's sort of Hidden Fortress. Kind of a lot of different bits. Um, from, yeah. Isn't Rio Grande... Or did Rio Grande get redone as a samurai film? <sighs> Who knows? Rio it's, Bravo they, might have been, yeah. Rio, Rio Bravo, Bravo was done as a John Carpenter movie as well, but with Salt Oh, with the Salt and Yeah. But the it, point it, is, it, you're right. There's, yeah. so, there's so much that it can it be get, like... Yeah, it gets very yeah. confusing because they all yeah. feed into each other. Precisely. Um, and, it's, and then equally... We're talking about the violence there for a second. It's fascinating because you think, oh, it's just like wall to wall violence. I mean, the, some of the pinky violence stuff, yeah, it is literally just like tits and blood mm. um, <laughs> because it's exploitation. But also, the key thing about what we associate with samurai movies, and this is like, and I'm just going to sprawl out to video games for a second with like Ghost of Tsushima. You motherfucker. Oh, sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, man. It's about that build, it's about that tension, and then that brief flash of violence. You get that moment where it's the close up of the eyes that. Leone did so often. Yes. The, the good, the bad, and the ugly standoff with the three of them and they're just the flyer landing on his face and they're just staring yeah. at each other and all that kind of stuff. And you get that often get that moment of silence in samurai battles. Mm. There's that duel and you'll have the cherry blossom swirling around yeah. and just the wind and the mm. silence and just the like little click as the katana blade, the hilt just comes off. Just just enough. <laughs> ready for the release. And like you said, Matt, real samurai fights. I remember watching a few documentaries about this. Like you know, there was some like martial arts, yeah, 
I like testing what real martial arts were, how that works in cinema thing mm. back in the day. Was it Deadliest Warrior? It was, <laughs> I, I wish it was. Deadliest Warrior is great. Yeah. But... Cutting through flesh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, how, and how like most actual fights with a katana are like a couple of strikes. If you're within striking range, you're dead. Mm. And there is no like rolling about. You don't block with a katana. That's not how those single edge blades work. Yeah. They basically bounce off each other because they're reasonably flexible mm. and it's a strike of like you strike as you pull out of your scabbard whatever the japanese mm. equivalent of a scabbard is mm. um and you strike with that outer blow you flick the blood off and it goes straight back in and it's out of its sheath for like 10 seconds yeah you kill a guy and that's it not you don't do the whole like star warsy thing of the lightsabers going <laughs> and bouncing off each other because you'd blunt your sword mm. in like 15 seconds yeah the european sort of like big claymore double yeah double handed swords i mean to be fair you shouldn't die anyway because it's fucking magic parrying riposte but that's I mean, it's where for example you see like in the 1800s swords become very much like rapiers and cut yeah. Because, yeah. Like, yeah this is more efficient because humans can slice up real easy yeah and yeah another comparison we haven't really touched on is the swashbuckling side of things. yes like mm. yes. the pirates and the swashbuckling and all the rapiers and all that yeah. kind of stuff mm. That is like the um, I mentioned the three pillars of cowboys, uh, <laughs> samurai, and knights. Yeah, have kind of got the pirates and the swashbuckling side of things there mm. as well. Yeah, as we also have a load of that in like the early cinema days as well. Mm. Yeah, precisely, precisely. Yeah, uh, yeah. And in fact, the the briefness of the violence is probably why westerns and samurai are so closely linked because yeah. it's. It's something that happens so br- it's it's the quick draw in the Western, it's that fast drawing of the blade. Of the blade. Mm. Whereas, like you say, that's how as a, a katana is designed, is that the first strike is as you draw it. Whereas with a traditional Western sword, you have to pull the sword out and then you start fighting. Yeah. And especially yeah. medieval warfare, it was an endurance sport. You know, it was more about stamina oh, yeah. and outlasting. And maybe tipping the other person over and then smashing their head in with a rock because you've dropped your sword already because you're so exhausted. And they're and yeah. they're so exhausted and they're in yeah. loads of heavy armor so they can't get up. So yeah. you just leave yeah. them there to starve to death as the, well. Also. Yeah. And then and then with a swashbuckling, it's obviously more elegant, but you're there's a lot of parry and riposte and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And then and then a final stab. So yeah. you're building you're building tension in that capacity because it's a lot of sword play it's the nemesis but it's, yeah. but it's a very different kind of tension to the western or the samurai thing where it's stillness violence stillness yeah, again definitely. um that slow burn yeah. yeah yeah i think the violence of samurai films you've touched on the kind of pinky era there matt where it gets yes. very exploitative and over the top has really reverberated throughout cinema as well yes the obvious one for a lot of western folks would be the kill bill yeah duology tarantino tarantino is very very clearly influenced by a lot of the early kind of kurosawa Mm. stuff tarantino's violence is literally most of it's just set up and then exactly yeah oh god yeah like the um uh lucy lou and uma thurman the fight in the snow and yeah Mm. there's that quiet moment there's the little water feature thing just Mm. clicking along and they silently stare at each other and it's just the one blow the blood on the snow Mm. and all that kind of stuff i was re-watching the other day just randomly the bit from Pulp Fiction where it's uh, Butch picking the weapon out in oh, the pawn yeah. shop. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's there's no Baseball music. Bat, chainsaw. Yeah. 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 Uh, it starts with hammer. Sorry, then hammer, yeah. Hammer, then baseball bat, yeah. then chainsaw, then katana. And then it goes, mm. Yeah. And there's, <laughs> there's no music. You just have the horrible sounds of 
what's happening to Marcellus Wallace. Oh, yeah, yeah. And no dialogue. And yeah. it lasts, it's like a minute as he is picking that thing out and just kind of moving behind the counter and going, oh, oh yeah, good hammer. Oh, what's this? Ooh, yeah. Oh, baseball bat swing, swing. Yeah, I could do some damage. Oh, what's this? Um, and that's all that tension. And then yeah. even more tension as he enters the room. And then again, that Behind action. Z, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, the violence yeah. is very quick. It's like a strike to the back and then like a stab in the gut yeah. from the front, from yeah. to, to behind him into the guy's stomach because that's the coolest that's way the you coach. can kill a thief. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's exactly like you would get in a samurai film. Yeah. And I, I think that's the, because people, I think it's almost um, an error. It's almost a mistake. And we, some later films do talk about this. That the duel, I mean, t- nailed this in with the idea that a, 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 a duel between knights is usually a, a, an ordered affair. A lot of spectators. If you don't just randomly happen across someone on the street, it would be very much a case of like, no, 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 we're going to do this. And they're the arms of the military. Mm. So um, they'd be horseback, which would then go to, no, okay, I've broken my, my lance. Now I'm going to use an axe or a or mace. Just, or mm-hmm. a basically jousting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then when the horse goes lame, you beat the shit out of each other. You say like, yeah. whatever you mm. have to hand. And it's um, visceral and uncivilized, for lack of a better word. It's very mm. brutal. Um, and the thing we sort of half remember very ordered until it very much isn't. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's like we have to have a structure for this. Like for a, sort of, I mean, in in, in a, I want you in a, a a pit I can see you in. I probably. mean, it's the classic. We have the pretense of all the like, oh yes, it's all very honourable and very straightforward. Mm. Like you are murdering each other, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. No, no, but we do it like respectfully. Like, well, he just bashed his head in with a rock. I think that's very respectful. <laughs> yeah, but, but they we, started we, off on their feet and it was a very fair yeah, fight. Yeah, and, and look, there's, armor a, and stuff. there's drummer boys over there with flags to say when we can fight and can't. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. That's, that's like a sport almost. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> just kicked that guy's dick off. <laughs> <laughs> Are we at Knight's Tale or something? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's the key always. thing. That it's, it's, it's the idea of, you know, yeah, but I didn't smash his face in the pub. That makes me yeah. a better man. Yeah, uh, Does I, it? We went outside the pub. Yeah. Now it's, <laughs> Do you want to take this outside? Yeah. Into a courtyard? Um, and that, that square up for the duel yeah. is such an integral part of the imagery of samurai yes. in cinema as well. Yes. You get, often get the wide shot. I mentioned the cherry blossom, the sakura earlier, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the classic stillness. And quiet, and the only thing that's picking up the wind is the dust on the ground or the the yeah. cherry blossom leaves, just the petals floating around them. Mm. And especially with Kurosawa stuff, vast majority of it being in black and white, you get a real yeah. sense of contrast because you're not playing with colors; you're playing with that the grays and the blacks and the white and everything in between, basically. Yes. Where you're really Ensuring that the characters stand out from their backgrounds when they need to and blend in when they don't when they don't want to stand out and things like yeah. that. And you're really yeah. when you get like a silhouetted duel and you just see two men squaring up to each other on a horizon, it's like, that is so fucking cool. You get that one wide oh, shot. It is literally cinematic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It yeah. almost defines cinematic <laughs> yeah. in many ways, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it's fascinating how the kind of the storytelling and and, and cinematic tropes go in terms of those action because that sense of tension is so important it informs how we read the fight scenes so if you have a character and it could be a, it could be the the good guy or a villain and 
you know, three guards, whether they be, you know, you know, three bandits or three, you know, guards defending something, run up to them and just start attacking them. Yeah. You know that fight isn't really important and those three dudes are probably gonna get wrecked by this character <laughs> because there hasn't been that tension and build up. They've just kind of like gone, Oh, you you you're not meant to be here. Run up, kill, 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 yeah. we're fine. Yeah. If you have even you you can have, say, a you know, a room like a ta- you know, a, a drinking establishment or whatever, mm, mm-hmm. a bunch of people come to confront, you know, a character, suddenly you've got that tension. And yeah. everyone's looking at their swords and you're like, oh, no, OK, this is a little bit more important. Mm. And if you have one character versus one character and there is that tension and that it doesn't jump you know, straight to the lights, you know, oh, no, this is a big deal. Yeah. And it yeah. probably means, you know, if we know, say, our hero is capable and then they and they've you know been attacked by bandits or whatever, fought them off. Yeah, great. They're, you know, the hero kind of doing their thing. Mm-hmm. But then if they encounter someone who doesn't immediately attack them and instead there is that moment of tension, you your brain immediately goes, oh, this person must be good because they're not fighting yet. The, yes. the, the film yes. is telling me that when the fight happens, it will be important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, a Simpsons reference where all the crazy martial arts shit exactly. is going outside. Yes. Yeah. I want to see what the little guy does, yeah. Mart. <laughs> when he does something, it's going to be cool. That guy yeah. in the white suit hasn't done anything exactly. yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That moment where I think that's a great example. Things like Seven Samurai where you have a, a group of highly skilled samurai mm. outnumbered yeah you have a hundred bandits trying to invade this village mm. and the seven samurai and the kind of useless villagers that they've mm. been training up and trying to like yeah. build up as warriors you get that moment where oh that samurai has just fought his way through and like the the, the bad guy sends his minions and they just cut through minion one minion mm. two minion mm. three minion mm. four and then there's that moment where there's the pause and the bad guy and the good guy look at each other and it's like, <laughs> oh, this is a samurai and samurai. But you aren't just random bandits. That's a guy who can actually handle himself and you mm. get that pause and that like, he just killed five of my men. You're next. And it's like, oh, yes. It's, there's that yeah. old like internet joke that sort of went around, you know, in the 90s or whatever, the, uh, the rule of the conservation of ninjutsu, <laughs> uh, where it's like, uh, essentially, you have a certain amount of enemy skill and it gets diluted by the number of enemies that you're facing. So mm. if you're facing 20, you will breeze through those ninjas that like, there's no problem. If you're facing three ninjas, oh, okay, you know, they might put up a fight. They might block a few of your strikes. If you're facing one ninja, ooh, He's you in trouble. King of the ninjas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think this is interesting because I was mentioning before about samurai were, um, you know, vassals, they were military people. So they were soldiers at the end of the day, as yeah. well as this whole like thing of court. So we talk about the duels, for example. Um, and that, that's what we bring in our heads. But it's like, yeah, but they also they would have been fighting in armies. They would yeah. have been literally ba- battering the shit of each other in army, uh, in mm. armor, sorry. And with you know not just the katana, but different types of swords and weapons. We see later we get some of those because again mm. they're expensive to make. Mm. Um, but again, just to just to uh, draw back to something that that Jack was talking about. There is that thing about the jewel, and I think this is an interesting thing we talk about setting for a second because. Uh, a samurai duel between two individuals. That stillness, the poise, a little different from what you were talking about, about the idea of the, the ryok and the, or the, 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 the in style. Mm. Someone's ambushing you. like it, That moment of calm, like, I'm going to finish my drink first. That kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Which we still see in westerns. But it, the sort of uh, duel in the middle of town at high noon kind of thing. Mm. Um, 
there is an inherent link between these movies uh, and nature and death. To, 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 to paraphrase something that uh, Sergio Leone's films sort of point out, it's something to do with death. Got something mm-hmm. to do with death. Because in that moment, it's the realization that one of you is going to die. There's no like, oh, I win. Mm. Two knocks to the chest. Tally yeah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to cut everything you could be out of existence. You are gone. Or you're going to take that from me instead. Mm. And they highlight and cement this. And Westerns do it in a very similar way to highlight the isolation of the frontier that no one's coming to help you. Because Japan has a long history of uh, respecting nature. Nature is a huge part of their culture mm. and history. And, and religion as well. Yeah. And so subsequently, it's not just that you're having fights. So like, for example, the, the, I think it's called a deer scare. The thing goes, uh, the, the water goes in and goes... Tchunk. Oh, it's, yes. Yeah, yeah, very iconically. Um, that Jack mentioned in, in Kill Bill. And just blossoms falling down and it's that peaceful moment where you're doing two things one you are focusing on what is in front of you centering yourself you're dedicating yourself to that moment to that thing but you're also preparing yourself for death because again the whole seppuku mindset like death is always imminent death is always a possibility it's a thing mm-hmm. i am always prepared for it and you're taking in your surroundings and saying yeah this is a big almost klingon stuff this is a good place to die yeah this is a if this is my last moment here is good and yeah. for this reason, against this individual, mm. there's a sort of level of respect to it, even though sometimes it's not about that at all. And talk about like the idea of an overwhelming source of odds. Again, Sword of Doom is a perfect example of that one, where you go a little bit crazy. It's a <laughs> half smile and sort of dead eyes, and walking just forward as four people are trying to sort of circle you, figure you out, and like not not in that awkward way we saw in like the fucking Dark Knight Rises, where someone's like waiting to, to attack, yeah, and then falls over <laughs> for no reason. Um, yeah that guy yeah. <laughs> it's the idea that I, I'm kind of too scared to attack and the second when someone comes close it's a mm. and they're on the floor dead yeah and it's like holy shit and then you see that one character let rip in a building and it's like oh my god mm. it's crazy um, yeah that location mm. and, and the idea of the environment and, and nature yeah is, is important as well because again the kind of thinking about tension and stuff like that is mm. like your samurai hero is not going to die in an alleyway, typically, yeah, or or somewhere undignified. Mm. You know, to go to go back to the Kill Bill comparison, like the bride isn't going to die in a corner of the the wherever the club is, the House of Blue Leaves, is it? Yep. Sure, yeah, she's not going to die in just a corner. But oh, when you're out in that garden and it's white and snowy, and yeah. you know, this is a place to die. This yes. is a place to die. Yeah, Bill on the beach. It's yeah, like, you look ready. It's it's yeah yeah yeah. It's all part of it. It's, it's all part of the majesty. Mm. Well, it's, it's a fantasization uh, and, a, and a fetishization of death. Yes. It's nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, you can undermine that in interesting ways with, yes. with, because it, it's a, it becomes a trope and then you can go like, actually, what else happen if we take this heroic guy and he just gets stabbed by one of these mooks and falls over in the middle of, you know, the, yes. the, the corner of town that's kind of unimportant. Yeah. And that's so shocking because it, it's not what we expect. Yeah, it only works if everyone's playing by the rules. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. Um, um, just to jump back to like the yeah, warfare yeah. side of stuff. Mm. Like a lot of what Samurai did in real life was archery from horseback. Yeah. Exactly. Which is something we yeah. very rarely see in films. Yeah. Um, like it was, you know, inherited from, you know, Mongols and stuff like that who were yep. amazing horseback archers and, you know, that kind of 
transferred over, at, mm-hmm. you know, from China and into Japan. Mm. But yeah, it's fascinating. We you barely see bows in samurai films, let alone someone like shooting yeah. from horseback. But yeah. I guess that the sword feels more cinematic and more noble. Yeah. Because you're killing per- a person so close up, it's less the like, yeah. oh, it's the coward's way. You're going to fire yeah. from a distance yeah. and all that Although kind of stuff. Although you do get those, you know, you get, what's the, is it Throne of Blood? Yes, where, it's Throne of Blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah Shiro- the amazing Toshiro Mifune going like, oh, oh arrows. Not, not arrow. acting. Yeah, <laughs> actually getting nearly hit by arrows. Yeah. I think that's For real. Thing. Yeah, I think the truth of the matter is um, you see a fair amount, and we'll get to this later, we'll talk about the, the 21st century. Mm. Ooh. It comes down to that's too fucking dangerous. Yes. Mm. And um, also hard to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole poise thing of having to raise your hands and then there's a whole, because yeah. like most things in Japan is very, very, um, lot of pageantry to it and things mm. like that. But from a filmmaking point of view, it's like, that's actually quite tricky to do. I mean, we did it a lot in European cinema and, and American cinema with, you know, sort of period drama set in mm. the past. and the Robin Hood. And Robin, like exactly. That. Yeah. Mm. And even then, it, there's so many fucking accidents and things that could have gone yeah. wrong, etc. And a lot of Robin Hood films end up with him, him having a sword fight because, yeah. because yeah, it's like there's only so many times that you can glue a arrow to your camera, run it towards something, and then speed <laughs> that footage up to make it look like it's you know you're, yeah. you're shooting from the arrow's perspective. Exactly, and um, also and also for the fact that it 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 robs you of the, I mean, it's an emotional thing. So we're talking about the narrative structure mm. of filmmaking. It robs you of that personality and that closeness. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're shooting an arrow, because I mean, unlike a bullet, where like a, a western, where you got like a draw, that mm. kind of thing. Um, a, a properly fired arrow or whatever it happens to be, you're off a, a fair fucking distance. Yeah, there's no, you don't really know who you're hitting. You're hitting a central mass to make most of that sort of cloud of things towards you fall the fuck over. Yeah, it's kind of it, really. Yeah. Um, so then, speaking of actually big militaristic stuff, getting into the 80s, we see actually a bit of a fall from grace mm. for samurai films. You have Akira Kurosawa still making things like Kagemusha and Ran in 1980 and 1985, respectively. And they're fucking amazing because he finally has the budget. Ran is the King Lear one, by the that way. Is, that is exactly, yeah. And that's got colour and it's glorious and fuck me, that made amazing. Yes, that's the one that really stands out to me. I, I'm not sure how many Kurosawa films are actually in colour, but that's always the one I think of mm. because... Uh, He's so defined by the black and white samurai stuff. Yes. Mm. When you mention Kurosawa and he did color, I always think of Ran and how like every character has a color to their clothes, to their armor, to their weapons, to banners, flags, everything. Banners, yeah. flag, your banners yeah. and flags, perfect yeah. example. Yeah, exactly. And you get like these incredible fields that are so yellow with flowers and green with yeah. the grass. And it's all like like he's gone from black and white to like completely oversaturation where it's this remember when styling. films had colors guys oh, <laughs> back in the good old days yeah. god's sake yeah and i i can't remember who it was somebody was talking about his it was a film critic talking about ran and how it's the mm. best shakespeare interpretation that and throne of blood are like yes. the, the two best shakespeare interpretations ever put on film and nobody realized they're shakespeare films <laughs> and nobody's seen them and mm. for Rand's use of color and the way Kurosawa does it is only a man who has been playing in the world of black and white for so long yeah, can use yeah, color in such yeah. an expressive way. And like I said earlier, like the way somehow the black and white of his style and his, again, one of the most influential filmmakers of all time, the way he shot things and his techniques and 
firing real arrows at Toshiro Mifune <laughs> aside. Um, but like literally the, the balance and the contrast and the greys that lurk in between those blacks and whites that are the extremes of the range he has to play with really define that look and he completely defines black and white cinema to me in my mind. Absolutely. Obviously because I grew up on that kind of stuff, that kind of helps. But when he branches out and goes into colour, holy fuck does he know how to use colour. And it's this weird moment where you think like, where has this been this whole time? You can do this the whole time <laughs> and it is and it looks this cool and this amazing yeah. and has such like thematic importance. It I know I I know I joke on this a lot with the whole like uh hidden meaning Easter eggs missed YouTube video type mm. things. But there is so much stuff that in those films and in round specifically with the color choices with the palette choices of the different characters and the sons mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff the the lord and his sons and mm-hmm. you know the the banished son coming back and all this kind of stuff the choices of the clothing and the makeup and the outfits the and makeup all, man yeah yeah it's it's absolutely incredible um i don't know the actor's name but the the old guy who has that like big makeup y prosthetic face yes that is like one of the creepiest. So yeah, that's Tatsuya Nakadai. He he Thank is yes. he is, and that's the thing. He is one of the other big samurai. Like, yeah. Oh, what's he in? He's like, um, we'll get to a lot of these others later. But he's like the guy I mentioned in Sword of Doom who goes crazy. That's him. him. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, he's in like Harak- uh, Harakiri. Him. That's him. Do you know the guy who is running the town in Yojimbo? Him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he is exactly. like amazing and, yeah. and then he's this old man you're like holy shit yeah that, tra- that transformation is incredible oh, it's and glorious. the is all again going back to sort of kurosawa's black and white origins it's the crevices and the shadows in his face that are just so it's almost theatrical it's like a kabuki thing again, it's isn't it? such yeah. a kabuki thing exactly yeah. it, it's playing on those themes of japanese plays and japanese yeah cinema the history of japanese cinema this is going to sound like some real Matt Stogden wanky shit, but it's Do like, it. it's like the culmination of all of Japan's like kabuki theater coming through to cinema and that all like merging together in this incredible combination of it's Shakespeare, it's kabuki, it's samurai, it's fucking everything all at once. And like ran as this somehow yeah. culmination of like 50 years of history in, in cinema, hundreds of years mm-hmm. in Shakespeare and in samurai all building together to this fucking masterpiece. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's the fact that we said about the cyclical nature of uh, American cinema being influenced by Japan and back and forth. The film was partly funded by people like Francis Ford Coppola and Steven Spielberg because he couldn't get the money to get the damn yeah, thing done. Yeah. And it's like these are f- huge fans are like, we'll help you make it because we want to see this film. Yeah. It's insane. To put that into perspective, like you said, Francis Ford Coppola and Steven Spielberg, two people heavily inspired by Akira Kurosawa, of course. Randa's from 1985. It's post-Star Wars, the (laughs) original trilogy. It's post-Blade Runner. Like, Mm. it's post-fucking loads of stuff. I always think of samurai cinema. Post-Ghostbusters. Post-Ghostbusters, exactly. Like, it's, it's this thing where you think of... I know I do, and I think the vast majority of people think of Kurosawa as, oh, he made a bunch of cool stuff in the 50s. It's all black and white. Yes. And I, as is classic with Jack, young Ooh. Jack and present day Jack, unfortunately, if I don't pay attention to a thing, I assume it stops existing. Oh, object permanence. Almost. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. have object permanence with bands, with directors, with actors. I'm like, uh, the perfect example I always use is Pearl Jam. 
Oh, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I adore their first album, 10. I really like their second album, Versus. And then I assumed, oh, they must have broken up in 1994 when Grudge died. <laughs> like, yeah, Grunge stopped in like 1994 and Kurt Cobain killed himself. And then that was it, right? It's like, no, they just, cons- the same five blokes consistently made albums for the next 35 years. And, <laughs> what? Like, yeah, yeah. They're still going now. And they've been touring like arenas and stadiums in America for the last 25 years. Oh, how many albums have they got? Like 15? What? <laughs> There's like a dozen Pearl Jam albums I've never heard of. And I had that same moment with Ran where I was like, wait a minute. How old's Akira Kurosawa? Mm. Isn't he like a hundred at this point? It's like, well, no, he's in his seventies, <laughs> but but still, like, he made a film in the eighties in color. What yeah. the fuck is this? Yeah. And I I was so skeptical. Of, I was kind of stupid being skeptical of fucking Kurosawa, but like, it's a color film in the eighties. Like, how the hell is that going to work? And a lot of people were burnt out on that kind of stuff in the 50s, like because mm. the 50s and then, like we said, built into the 60s and 70s and the kind of more exploitation side of things. Mm-hmm. Ran was a real kind of throwback at the time, going back 30 years, as we often do. Now we're in the 90s period. But of course. Yeah. It was oh, wait. Go- it's the same year as Back to the Future. There you go. There you 80s go. and back in the 50s. There you go. Yeah. So weird to think it's, of it's, isn't that weird <laughs> Akira Kurosawa made a samurai film in the same year as Back to the Future and it feels like ironically with Back to the Future being a good example he's going back to 1955 exactly. to tell this samurai story and it it almost feels like this weird time capsule because obviously it's using the technology of the 80s and stuff like that but it plays on and uses so much of the classic techniques and blends it with the modern techniques at the time that is just this weird thing and I was like how can this exist? Kurosawa made yeah. a film in the eighties. This is so weird to me. And then, yeah, learning that like people like Spielberg and Coppola ended up helping him fund stuff because mm. while he was incredibly, incredibly influential and you know important to so many of the filmmakers of that era, and still now coming into the you yeah, know, literally forty years later, he never actually made that much money. <laughs> no, relatively, like how closed off Japan was in terms of its cinema and stuff. Mm. we weren't getting that kind of stuff and films didn't make that kind of, especially those kind of films didn't make the kind of money you know we're not talking the 1.6 billion dollars yeah, the, the breaking the billion dollar thing that is the big thing at the moment in the 2010s coming into the yeah. the 2020s Kira Kurosawa's films were these kind of critical darlings that never made money and it's this weird kind of thing where he made a film in the same year as Back to the Future what a weird thing and I'd almost recommend Ran as a jumping on point for a lot of people. I think mm. if you're, you know, because no, a lot of people are hesitant to go back to the 50s stuff. I'm totally guilty of this myself. Even when we talked about the um, Creature of the Black, Black Lagoon, Lagoon episode, yeah. we're like, oh God, we're going back to the 50s. Mm. The fuck are these movies going to be like? <laughs> like? I very, very rarely, I'm totally guilty of this, of like, if it's before like 1970, it doesn't exist. Like, Films in the 60s. Well, it's, like, it's within the sphere of your lifetime. Yeah, and my parents' lifetime as well. Yes, precisely. Yeah. So I, I watch the things, and it's only because my dad loves the westerns and, mm-hmm. and your spaghetti mm-hmm. westerns, and, and, and then again, the samurai films, that I got into that stuff. But I was totally closed off in that little bubble. I didn't branch out and see Creature from the Black Lagoon because horror's not my thing, and yeah. horror is also not my parents' thing. So I got the samurai and the western influence from my dad. I thought, well, yeah, westerns and samurai films, they all took over the 50s and then nothing else was made in the 50s. 
<laughs> there you go, problem solved. I've like, never gone back and seen like I've never seen Casablanca, for example. It's a good film. Yeah, so I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that kind of thing, where I think a lot of people will be hesitant. We're recommending all these. Oh, Kira Kurosawa was amazing. Blah 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 blah. It's all these incredible films from the 50s. It's beautiful black and white. As soon as we say black and white in 1950s, I bet a large percentage of the audience go. Ah, that's before okay. we start saying, oh, by the way, it's in a foreign language. Read the subtitles. Also, how do you find these films? Oh, we'll get to on, that fucking not, shit. They're not on fucking Netflix. They're not on Amazon. Some of them are, to be fair. Yeah. They have been on Amazon Prime and have been on Netflix and yeah. stuff. A handful of them. Feel like, like, as you've touched on before, Matt, do you want to pay £70 for a Criterion Collection Blu-ray? For a film I'm not sure I'll like? No, <laughs> yeah. I'm all right, thank you. Like, Well, and even things, we're going to get to some more modern. We have kind of a, yeah. when we get to our picks in the second half, we have a basically a a, pre, a, nine, a 20th century, I was going to say a 90s, <laughs> but that's not true, a 1900s, yes. not the way of saying it, a 20th century <laughs> pick and a 21st century pick. And thinking about how there's that divide in kind of, you know, the world and our lives and, mm-hmm. and the way cinema shifted around that sort of time. We often talk about that yeah. transition to DVD and the, that whole thing yeah. in the early 2000s. And I think a lot of people will struggle to find anything before that kind of era, unless you're digging around and really hunting stuff out online, yeah. perhaps through less than legal means. Ooh. legally acquiring a bunch of this stuff is fucking expensive and difficult. I should fucking know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> difficult to do. I will say the flip side to that is that some of these things, especially the better known ones, are often just up on YouTube in full because they are not bothered about maintaining. There it is. I noticed that as well, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. they're not bothered about maintaining because they're like, who cares about these black and white films? Yep. Yeah. They're not maintaining the copyright i know it's not a samurai film per se but i remember we talked about the human condition trilogy and i'm like the whole fucking thing's on youtube you have no excuse oh yeah i remember watching now and also i will say because i'm someone who is not i think uh, of the three of us i i definitely have the least history with samurai films yeah um like the anime episode all over again it is yeah i'm just i'm an (laughs) anti-weeb and yet he's in an anime web series yeah i made it happen um (laughs) The a thing that I think people might not expect and that we haven't really touched on, um, because it, you know, with lots of talk about action and tension and stuff like that. A lot of these films are fucking funny. There is a lot yeah, of humor. That's a very good there point. is a lot of right yeah, humor in these things. Yeah, there is often like drunk motherfuckers. Either like comic <laughs> relief cowards. characters or as we'll get into later, like even the central characters can be very funny. Yeah. Um and it's humor that often like translates, like that isn't you know rooted in cultural stuff. No, it's just slapstick, sardonic stuff. It's, it's yeah. also that two different things there. Slapstick, which is easy to go along, like, oh, cowardly, silly, nobody's, yeah. whoa, and sardonic, like, ah, uh, yeah, right, I'll yeah, do it. And kind of world weary, yeah, playful, but yeah, not like full on snake Pliskin shit. Was like, oh, he's a miserable nihilist yeah. bastard. But it's like, <laughs> no, 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 like genuinely an amusing, yeah, observer. Yeah. yeah, um, and I think uh, as we've said throughout this uh, this half of the episode, like mm. these stories are so universal. There is a reason that mm. they have been translated to other genres and to other settings and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Is because they tap into fundamental things that yeah. we enjoy, and especially that we enjoy seeing in cinema. You know, definitely. And I think, and this is this is a 
perfect little transition actually to the end of this little journey, uh, this timeline, because um, take us on a journey, Matt. I will. You won't like it. No. Um, to, to about Ran for a second. The <laughs> Kagemusha was like a test run for Ran, almost like a proof of concept. Mm. But to about the color, Kurosawa is a painter, and he was painting the frames basically and yeah, he, he literally storyboarded it with literally right yeah yeah we were oh, painting which <laughs> is quite insane that explains so, so extra much. yeah <laughs> it makes complete sense he would do tons of tests for each before and just to make sure it would work and the anyway point is that that's where the, the, the color pack comes through and the idea that but then as a perfect transition samurai films sort of fall out of favor so we want more other types of movies and other genres and things like yeah that's old hat and the same way we have with like westerns and other things yeah. after a while you go that's my dad's thing I don't give a shit about that yeah yeah and it transitions to where are we going to house this stuff it still has to be around anime mm. you get a lot of animated <laughs> movies all of a sudden um, sort of risky pushing the envelope kind of stuff you get uh, Sword for Truth there's a little thing in the 90s there's nothing exceptional but it's like Ninja Scroll yeah okay it's called Ninja Scroll but it's still a Ronin it's still that kind of story it's also a bit fantastical a bit of a the elements you couldn't really put on film because it's got mm. the science fiction side of things and the sort of horror angle but in a very very overt way with demons and shit yeah um, well and like you say mm. if you've when you've had that pinky violence period yes and a move into exploitation cinema mm one of the ways that you can then push things even further is to go into animation where you can do things that the human body can't do exactly. and that can get by sensors because they're like, well, it's a cartoon. It's not real. It's not real. Yeah. So yeah, it's fine if we see this guy literally sliced in half and then his body falls in half and then yeah. we see his brain and then his brain falls out and it then he groans and then he goes, that really hurt. Tim, exactly. You see like <laughs> an arm coming off. I can't remember which one. I think it might be an in fortress. And I'm coming off, and that's inspired by like the, you see in the cantina scene mm. um, with uh, Obi Wan, that sort of stuff is like almost shot for shot the same thing. But anime specific or animated movies and things, mm. you can be like, no, we can go further with this. Mm. We can make it real fucking gruesome. <laughs> um, but then also you can do like a realistic sort of almost um, down to earth story like Ruin Kenshin, for example. And I think it's called Samurai X over here at times as well. But the, the, yeah, that motion picture. Then you get the 2000s shit goes off the fucking chain <laughs> because the 30 year cycle comes around again and we're like you know what we haven't had in a long time samurai films <laughs> yeah and i i'm going to give one movie too much credit and i'm gonna get a lot of frowns uh -oh. so obviously in japan you have things going about and you got like um arguably sort of stranger which is another animated one uh, you got Urusare Zaru Mono, which is Unforgiven. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, remake with the remake of Unforgiven, yep. And you get um, it's fucking great, by Takashi the way. Miki doing 13 Assassins and that sort of stuff. Mm, and yep. You get like these things. But a thing that reignites it in uh, English language cinema is Tom motherfucking Ugh. Cruise doing a um, The Last Dance Samurai. Dance of the Star yeah. Last, the Last yeah. Samurai, which is the one I quote at the top. Mm. And whether you like it or don't like it as a movie, it's doing something that the 80s did where um, Clavel wrote Shogun. Yes, and it was made for yeah. TV. And it had, what do we do with this? Like, well, we'll have a, you know, uh, Chamberlain play this English character, Violet Blackthorn, and he'll go off to Japan. And, you know, it's, it's based on a rough sort of true story. And all the Japanese characters will speak Japanese. Like, oh, and we're not going to subtitle it. 
oh really it's like yeah um and the idea is like how is that well for like a handful of scenes yes but it's like we'll make we'll take the audience on a journey through that character's eye so he feels really out of water with it and it's like that's fascinating so there'd be so many examples in the 80s where you get like post star wars post of these things coming out and they're like people going like oh cool and we talk about how you know those movies in the 80s and 90s would sort of fade out but they were being inspired by that culture in in America, so you get like as much as it's a weird comparison, the fucking karate kid comes out because mm. people want that kind of thing, but in their own their own version. And similarly in the 2000s, anime starts building huge things. Um, the Matrix comes out and suddenly it's like, this is great. What is this? It's like, what's well, inspired by Japanese films. And then it's like, can we do like a period drama about this and make it sort of about, you know, some sort of weird white savior dude? It's like, uh, yeah, we can, I guess. Ed Swick goes off and makes it. I still think The Last Samurai is fine. I really enjoy it as a film. Yeah, I think I, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. But for a certain generation of people, I think it's like in, in America and, and Britain especially, mm. it's like, this is really fucking good. I like this whole Japan thing. I'm going to get a sword. I mean, <laughs> it, it introduced a lot of people to Ken Watanabe as well. Oh, 100%. Yes. Hiroki yeah. Sonata, hello. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it, you're right. And the thing I think is that the idea of having a lot of prominent, really good Japanese actors alongside this tentpole American actor gave it a lot of weight and clarity. And it did the same thing as Shogun did. It was like, I'm going to take you through all the, the, the base touchstone notes of this culture in a mm. very clumsy way. But yes, it will still hit like haiku and swords and bushido mm. and, um, you know, every aspect of food and life and top knots and all these bits and pieces and this restoration period and so on and so forth. And it's going to oversimplify it. Of course it is. I wish it had the subtitle of food, life and top knots. Food, life, and top nuts. <laughs> <laughs> the Last Samurai. Yeah, um, yeah, and obviously, much like with Shogun, Tom Cruise learned some Japanese. Kind mm. of. Um, I think it's very telling that Last Samurai came out the same year as Open Range. Yeah, they're both in that kind of revisionist. Oh, we're mm. going to show you how it actually was. It's what a real yeah. Western looks like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Open Range is some of the best sound design. God, yeah, those guns just feel like being kicked by a horse. Rattle yeah. your teeth a bit, don't they? Yeah. yeah. So you have this, and then you get this resurgence again. You get all of the stuff in a very short period of time. You get Americans making big budget films like the 47 Ronin remake thing, sort of. Which is getting um, a sequel this year. Holy Jesus. Yep. With Keanu Reeves. Is yep. Gary still in it? Yep. I believe so. Has it still got that guy who's got bones tattooed all over his uh, body? He died, so no. Oh. I can't remember anything about that. I can remember there were ghosts. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it's not good. It's a bunch of ghosts. <laughs> um, but um, then you get some other things as well, like, um, again, Takeshi Miike. Yuki Sanada, isn't it? So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, and Takeshi Miike, as I say, we're a very, very... A, a Japanese director known for his violent mm. horror angle stuff and really dark things. So I'm going to do some period things. It's like, yeah. Really? It's like, yeah. And not only that, I'm going to do some manga stuff as well. Some manga, probably like manga stuff. Mm. It's like, okay, well, what are you going to do? It's like, well, I'm going to do um, well, something like 13 Assassins, for example, um, which is... Insane and awesome. And we also, we might get onto in a bit more detail later on. Oh, and then he does like, um, Blade of the Immortal. Yes. Which is really schlocky and fucking long. Yeah. But very cool. They're used to them being long, by the way. That's, that's, that's <laughs> a key point. Yeah. A lot of a two and a half to three hours long. Exactly. Because they've they're got a lot to that. say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's come back and now, now they're everywhere again. And we're like, oh, yeah, th this is a sort of like, it's it's a, unlike the westerns, which are sort of was huge, died off, and they're very independent films. Every now and again, you get like a spattering here. And Tim mentioned about Power of the Dog, for example. Mm. 
and we've got video game interpretations with like Red Dead Redemption and that slow burn thing. Samurai movies have kind of always been around, kind of reinterpreted, kind of positioned in different areas. Like, this is a samurai movie in space. And like, oh, yeah, I could see that, that sort of thing. So, yeah. You were pleased to hear that Blade of the 47 Ronin is scheduled for release later this year. It is a sequel to the 2013 movie, and I was very incorrect. It's a Netflix movie. Oh. It does not star Keanu Reeves. Oh. It is co-written by former WWE wrestler AJ Lee, a.k.a. AJ Mendes, <laughs> a.k.a. CM Punk's wife. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, it stars Mark Dacascos. <laughs> so oh. it's, it's going it's to be good, right, guys? It's, I, it's I guess gonna... it's right for sequelizing, even though the yeah. first one is shit. It, it might be right for sequelizing. Uh, and the quick little blurb here says, set 300 years after its predecessor. I'm like, oh, oh, oh no. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Oh, I'm, dear. I'm going to enjoy watching that, but not in the way the filmmakers intended. Yeah. That is going to be a beautiful car crash. <laughs> it is, It is quote, the next installment in the 47 Ronin franchise, unquote. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, Netflix. Remember the original story I mentioned how all the motherfuckers died at the end? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's kind of the point. Holy shit. You're welcome. I think just before we wrap up and, and move yes. on to our recommendations, I'm gonna I'm gonna pose a, a, a not a question. Samurai challenge. Are we gonna a maybe, a a duel? maybe a maybe a hot take? A duel. Oh, Tim's gonna say they're all shit. <laughs> I don't like Akira Kurosawa. I hate the Japanese. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <but> Christ him. <laughs> um, I think because you're right in the in. We've been comparing a lot throughout this westerns and, and samurai films, and I sure. think westerns crop up a lot fewer and far between than samurai films in contemporary Hollywood. Sure, uh, and, and world cinema, you know, globally. And I think that there there is a significant amount of that rests on the fact that people who fetishize guns. Don't tend to fetishize old guns. They want the newest, shiniest oh. gun. Whereas uh. a samurai sword is a perfect object and it is basically been the same since, you know, it was perfected. Pe and people who like swords are going to watch samurai films, whereas people who like guns aren't necessarily going to watch westerns. That's a really interesting point, Tim. Um, I mean, I know that uh, real gun nuts. Yeah, uh, of a certain caliber, we were like, "Oh yeah, there's there obviously cult. people there's like, being yeah, who course, historical." Yeah. It's but... a peacemaker, that kind of bullshit. Yeah, but at the same time, you're entirely right. It is about the modernization, the best, the new, the biggest, and so mm. on. So and you're right also about the idea of the katana and samurai swords, because a samurai sword in Vietnam is a katana. It's a long mm. sword they would use, and not the long sword. That's a different thing entirely. Yeah, but the interesting point of it is that. They're so fetishized mm. and they're so obsessed. Like, like I've I've been to like the Victorian Albert Museum and I've seen like exhibits. I've been to museums in Tokyo and seen the exhibits of the swords and like that's fucking beautiful. And it was like uh, you know a samurai sword is his soul. Mm. And we'll go back to that later in one of our picks. And there's uh, the sword of um um there's an animated movie I mentioned earlier um from uh 2007. Yes, called the Sword of the Stranger. I, th I thought you were going to talk about katana. Oh. <laughs> uh, her sword traps the souls of its enemies. I wouldn't recommend messing with her. She's got my back. Christ, Tim. I hate this. I don't even, so I can't much. even respond to that. 
No, I wasn't. I was going to mention that the idea that this samurai literally binds up his sword that he can't open. He refuses to take the sword out ever again, sort of thing. And he does mm. it just to protect this kid. But I like I like your angle, Tim. <laughs> um, but no, specifically the idea that um, this extension of who they are, that it becomes fetishized with um, this is the perfect weapon. Mm. Like, actually, to be honest with you, Tana's a shit. It's like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. What were you saying, Matthew? Yeah. It's like, yeah, they're... Did- Japan didn't really have access to good iron and yeah. stuff like that. It's called pig metal, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was had to be. It's like, oh, it had to be folded a thousand times. Like, yeah, because it was shit. Yes. And the reason you had to be so good at skillful at, at using it is because if you weren't, it would shatter in your fucking hand. Yeah. It's like you know the whole like um, Jack mentioned earlier about the, the that poise slide out of the mm. of the sheath of the scabbard and then shing, and all over the place and you know slice through a bamboo mm. or, or or a sort of rolled tatami mat kind of thing. It's like look how elegance like, yeah what we're impressed by is you cut the thing and you didn't break the sword yeah again, again. <laughs> it's not because the sword is super sharp and super amazing it's about you have to have the perfect wrist action to make this thing work mm. if you pick it up and just start wielding it so take a sort of like video game or D thing it's like mm. you don't have the stats for this yeah you're gonna you fumble. are you are not <laughs> proficient with this weapon yeah Oh, you rolled a one. I'm afraid you've cut your own ear off. That, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and also the sword is now bent at a 90 degree angle. It is useless. You've ruined this, this unique treasure and fucked yourself. And, and also your face. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you're right. I think that's a very interesting point because people will see these things and go, that's cool because it's almost like technology frozen in time. Yeah. When the Shinsengumi, the sort of police came through uh, when during the, the restoration period, um, it's like, right, we're out. We're, we're westernizing, we're modernizing. Swords are outlawed. Mm. You cannot carry a sword unless you're one of the military police. I think Sword of Doom is a great example of that. Guys, the guy joins the police just so he can cut motherfuckers up. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it, because it's in stasis and because it's a symbol of historical pride and tradition and stuff, it never changes. And the, mm. the yak, as I keep it alive, like cut my little finger off and all that sort yeah. of thing with this tiny little sword and things. Which kind of brings us full circle to the idea of yeah. that Japan's kind of military structures were frozen for so long and then and their precisely, technology precisely. was frozen for so long because of uh the the closing off of the country exactly isolation did it to them and that's why there's this weird duality of like tradition mm. and nature and history but also the future and <laughs> cybertronics and that's why you've got the other yeah, side the of it blade of 47 ronin we're in the oh, future fuck now. me it's oh, cyberpunk. It, oh, it's, it is going to be cyberpunk, isn't it? Uh, I'll give you a quote. Hold on one second. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah, week, sponsored by. <laughs> Hold on. Actually, wouldn't mind some of that Netflix money. That'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hold on. A blend of genres. I mean, it makes sense if you're if you're transferring it to cyberpunk, you can do. Oh, okay. We replace like the daimyo, the kind of the the, the lord, yeah. with like a corporation that's like fucked them over. Yeah. You know, I think to be fair, that's brilliant, Tim. They won't do that. They won't it's do that. Too, it's too, too smart. That sequelizes pitching right there. <laughs> um, also, isn't that literally the name of the main character in fucking Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven? Get up, samurai. Whatever it is. <laughs> I know that's uh, that's that's not It's Keanu Reeves' band in Cyberpunk. Uh, Johnny Silverhand is the front man of a band called yeah. Samurai. Okay, I don't know. Like, the yeah. main character. I'd say it makes sense. It's called V. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Um. The project was described by Ron Yuan, the filmmaker, as genre blending as a combination of martial arts, action, horror, and cyberpunk. Oh, it's going to be bad. The plot of the film will take th- take place 300 years, quote, into the future, unquote. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't know why that's 
in quote marks. But yeah, should be a delight for all involved. Well, enough about this film that's probably going to be bad. Oh, well, let's get some good shit. Let's talk about some films that we know to be good. Yeah. This week's episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible has thousands of audiobooks, podcasts. Like us. Us, yeah. You listen to yeah. on Audible. It's great. Exactly. But also comedy specials and so much more. And we're here to enhance this fantastic experience. Because if you head to audibletrial.com slash sequel, you get a month free and an audiobook on us. Now, there are a lot of books about samurai. Um, they can be read, like obviously, fictional stuff, historical stuff. The one I want to recommend, I mentioned it earlier in the episode, is Shogun by James Clavell, uh, read by Ralph Lister. Um, I, I really like this audiobook version uh, of Shogun. Even if you've seen the 80s TV series, which, by the way, you should. It's really good. Um, the book has all the other stuff put in because, as I mentioned before, you got, you know, parts of it cut out. So it's just shown from Blackthorn's perspective. But in the book, it's both sides. It's more complicated and you see the politics and the history and things. The audiobook is 53 hours long. Yeah, it is. I've been listening to it recently, funny enough. It's, oh, really? It's really fucking good. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You'll do the thing I did where the second I got to Japan, I turned to my wife and said, Christ Jesus, is this Japan's? <laughs> <laughs> and I kept saying it. <laughs> Christ Jesus, is this a Japan's? By way of Magellan's Pass. Nay. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Fucking love it. And it, it, it also it teaches you a lot about sort of like the, it's, it's, it was a lot for Americans is uh, being an Australian writer. Introduction to Japanese history and things and so on and so forth about the Tokugawa period. Names changed, but based on real events. Um, and teaches you kind of how to say certain things in Japanese, because obviously it's a kind of a language course as well. Because this guy arrives and doesn't speak any Japanese or anything about the food or any of it, and then learns over time. Anyway, great book. I recommend it. And uh, you can get it free from us. So get on down to audibletrial.com slash sequel for a month free and an audiobook. Audible. Uh Arigato Gosamasta. Thank you very much. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the, that's the most Matthew's stuck with it. Arigatou gozaimashita! Sumimasen. So, this is a very special uh, second half of an episode. Oh, happy birthday, man. Thank you. It's not my birthday yet, but it's soon. Soon. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, because unlike most episodes, we get like one pick each or something. I was allowed nine picks, and Jack and Tim had one. It was oh. really kind. <laughs> Happy birthday, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's not your birthday. strap in. Two picks, motherfucker. It's, <laughs> not, it's not your birthday. Yeah, I had to settle for not two yet. picks. Who wants to go first? I think Jack should. Do you know what I loved about that moment? We stared at each other like it was an actual samurai jewel for a second. <laughs> that stillness. Of like We were all just ho- holding our phones, ready to unsheath them. Yeah. Nature and death went through our minds, and then yeah. and then a yeah. chicken ran out between us. <laughs> I ate that chicken. I did not. No, that's why you died. I'm going to kick off with something you touched on earlier, Matthew. Ooh, a little. Uh, I'm going to go. For, I'm going to go for my more modern pick to kick off with, mm-hmm, just to mm-hmm. to throw the baby out with the bathwater, whatever that phrase means. Um, I knew that. Get you. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you the history of that one. I'm not going to. Good. 
I want to talk about a 2010 film. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Straight into the 21st century called 13 Assassins. I think it's not unreasonable to say this film is a masterpiece. (laughs) This (laughs) film slaps. (laughs) It does. It does slap. It is a masterpiece. And as I'm sure the, the nerds out there the samurai nerds, you, Matthew, being like, uh, it's a remake of the 1963 film. Yeah. D- I don't care. This film's, I'm not fu- gonna say it. This film's fucking it's amazing. Great. You mentioned Takeshi Miike earlier. Yes. Welcome to Takeshi Miike, listeners of Sequelizers, because this film is fucking violent. <laughs> <laughs> It is insanely violent and brilliant and everything you could possibly need in a samurai film, pretty much. Mm. It is along a similar kind of line of Seven Samurai and 47 Ronin and stuff. It's about a group of warriors gathering together to fight off a much more well-equipped and supported and funded army, basically, trying to invade their lands and destroy this village and all the kind of stuff you expect from a samurai film mm-hmm. but god damn it's got some twists it's got some turns and some spectacular action there's a big like main battle scene in the, one of the final bits in the town and it's like seven eight minutes long of just dudes murdering mm. other dudes with swords yeah and it's fucking brilliant the one criticism i have the digital blood is a bit annoying sometimes. That was the 2010s. They, they, they do mm. CGI blood a few times, as in a lot, because it's violent, <laughs> violent as hell. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, yeah, I guess. But thankfully, the rest of it is basically flaws. There's amazing performances across the board. The visuals and the storytelling are absolutely incredible. And I, I saw this version first, I hasten to add. But going back and watching the 60s version, I actually prefer the remake. I think the remake brings a lot to it. I think the 60s version, 63 specifically, is really cool, really of its time, really interesting. But the the dark nature of what it is lends itself better to a kind of director who deals with that hideous dark side of humanity. And I think we have the technology to really show that off very well. Um, and I don't want to sound derogatory or dismissive, but some of the performance, oh, sorry, not some of the performances, but <clears throat> central performances of like uh, Koji Yakusho is just, oh, just great stuff. Um, and I think it's, it, it, you talk about like, you know, of the six or so movies we're going to be recommending today, 13 Assassins might be one of the best gateway ones. Yes. To really get into something. Yeah, I think this I is think really, yeah. As long as you don't mind violence. Yes. We know you love it. We start off with the peak of violence, <laughs> but also the easiest route into pretty much. Yes, yeah. yes, because it's the reality. Is like it's like with the, with the whole Wolverine thing. It's like that man has little tiny knives on his hands. This is gonna look bad when they touch your face. <laughs> it's gonna be brutal. No, 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 no. just fight robots the whole time. Yeah, fine. But mm. he just pulls them apart. Just pulls good. robots apart. Yeah, okay. Slices steam pipes and stuff. Yes, he does. He does. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It is literally like they're all carrying swords. It's going to end nasty. Yeah. 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 And I think the reason why, like I said, the 2010 version specifically is so good, it is somehow the perfect blend between 
modern filmmaking and also as you said matt like this gateway into classic samurai cinema yes and it is my with with another example we'll touch on later on my favorite modern moment yeah all three of our modern samurai films are fucking incredible all Mm. six of these films we're about to talk about are fucking incredible i'll just put that out there right now (laughs) but one in particular really like got me into modern samurai films one of our picks later on and this one solidified as like, oh, this is a fucking masterpiece. This is incredible. Yeah. And yeah, you can kind of guess where it's going, I guess. Like I said, it follows the kind of, we will reinforce the town and fight off this massive army. Mm. But there is a brilliant moment where they think they're facing like 50 blokes. 200 blokes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, we'll fight off the Akashi forces. Like, yeah, we can do it. There's 13 of us. And we've, we've set up all these traps and stuff. They do like a big skyfall slash home alone style thing with a bunch yeah. of like yeah. camouflage pits and booby traps and spikes and shit again very violent there as well mm. um that's a catchphrase again very again, violent yes. very violent <laughs> <laughs> and uh there's this brilliant moment where they realize how many bad guys they're facing and they're like oh we're gonna die aren't we and he's like you're goddamn right we're gonna die and we'll take them down with us like yeah. yes <laughs> classic samurai shit right there these a dozen or so, 13, funnily enough, incredibly highly trained warriors mm. facing off against like 200 minions. Oh, it's so good. Not actual minions, we should note. <gasps> Banana! <laughs> <laughs> the only way to improve this masterpiece. Oh my God. <laughs> 13 assassins versus 200 minions. Dave, Steve, go force. It sounds like one of those like to- totally it's, accurate it's battle totally simulators. I was thinking I was just yeah. going to say that. <laughs> right, totally accurate battle simulator, guys. We know you're listening. Please make that for yeah, the please sequel. Yeah, please, please introduce a minion. Samurai versus minion. If you can get the licensing for minions and then murder them with samurai, that yeah. would be brilliant. Thank you they, so much. They'd just be called like yellow guy, little yellow guys. <laughs> Little Yellow Kings, as yeah. we know. Um, it's interesting because 13 Assassins does follow a lot of similar beats to Seven Samurai, except a key point of the story, we don't want to ruin too much here. It's the, it's the not honor, it's more about obligation. And I think that's a, why it ties in so well with something like Ghost of Tsushima mm. is in Ghost of Tsushima, he's dealing with like, his loyalty to his father, his loyalty to his lord, and yes. what will actually get the job done doesn't necessarily align with what is best for the clan and all this kind of stuff. Yep. And you have the their uncle and nephew, I think, aren't they in, in 13 Assassins? The, I think so, yeah. Uh, like the, the dynamic they have there where you're dealing with um, Naritsugu, who's the, the lord, like the ruler of the Akashi and like leading yeah. the, the bad yeah. guy forces, basically. Um. And you mentioned Koji Yakusho, who plays Shinzomon, who's like, yes. for a better phrase, the hero of the piece, essentially. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. And their, their fight at the end is amazing. The two of them, like, squaring up to each other, and you get that moment we touched on earlier where mm-hmm. you separate the wheat from the chaff and you get all the minions battling off and doing all that stuff. Yeah. And then the big bad guy and the big good, good guy, oh, they square off. And, yeah. there's, and there's a duel, and they're both already covered in blood. And there's that moment where uh, Nitsurugu draws his sword, the back of his sword, against his the cloth of his arm to wipe off all the blood. And it's just this like, 
Yeah. Of him like scraping it against his arm. The squeegee. Like, yeah, it's yeah, squeegee, <laughs> squeegee of blood off of his katana. Yeah. Like the, the blunt backside of it against the back of his arm. Mm. And then he squares up and prepares, and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And it, and it does cover that thing because it was like, oh, he must be like a really noble lord. It's like, uh, it's kind of more the shogun's like brother he's, or something. He's shit. the shogun's brother. He's a fucking monster and that's he's basically protected because of political. Diplomatic yeah. immunity, basically. It's, it's literally like, oh, they must be, you know, absolutely righteous. It's like, no, they're kind of fighting for the bad guy. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's that, that complexity is, is what I think really lends itself as well. That's why it works much better, say, in, the, in a 2010 solar setting, because we can have the honest, uh, brutal look at these things and a very, you know, gritty, realistic, modern take, but also look back and say, these individuals were noble, but they were still fighting uh, for the wrong reasons on arguably the wrong side. And it's like, yep, that sounds like Japanese history to me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a brilliant. Again, I don't want to spoil anything because I remember I wa- again watched it with my dad. Surprise, surprise. Mm. And we had this moment where we we're like, "Is that what we think it is?" At the end, talking about one of the characters, the oh, the thirteenth oh. assassin, the thirteenth recruit into the group, like. Is that is that a thing? And my dad was like, "Yeah, that's a thing from Japanese history and folklore and stuff. This means this, and that means that." Like, mm. uh, there's a heavy implication of something that ties into Japanese history yeah. from one of the characters, and he's almost like this comic relief kind of character. He's the cheeky "I slept with the boss's wife" type character, which is literally the case. He did sleep with the lord's mm. wife and got imprisoned, and they free him, and he's like the the wacky thief kind of. Hunter character. Tim mentioned humor. Mm. Yeah, Kikuchio yeah. in 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 Seven Samurai, which is Toshiro Mifune's character. Uh, spoilers: Seven Samurai. There's only six. The seventh one is a farmer who lies. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. carries a sword that's too big, and everyone laughs at him because like that's for being on horses, taking horses down. You idiot. Yeah. It's like no, it's the best samurai sword because the biggest one swings f- it around maniacally. Yeah. yeah. You're an yeah. idiot. Yeah. <laughs> but they'll uh, accept them afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the concept of honor, like you mentioned earlier, Matt, is so tied into like it's the shogun's brother and the whole like second in command to shinzo mon is like oh yeah they they work really well together we've known each other for years yep they train together with this kind of stuff and then you also have uh kuzuro who is one of shinzo mon's old students who left his school to become a ronin yeah. and is like dragged back into this basically at first he feels obligated with like the to honor his previous master and all this kind of stuff. And then he's like, fuck off. This isn't my fight. This is not my fucking problem. Why are you, why am I helping you? Yeah. I haven't spoken to you in years. What the fuck am I doing here? And you get this moment where the, the dozen or so of them, like I said, the 13th one is a bit of a, of a bit of a, an outsider, even, mm-hmm. even in that case, mm-hmm. they all finally come together from these different backgrounds and, like Shinzemon is such an interesting character to discuss, like Bushido and stuff, which very much touches on my my second pick. There's a little hint for you Ooh. about the concept of like the way of the samurai and the Bushido and the code that they live by and all this kind of stuff. And he is always standing for Bushido, but not in a you just follow the rules kind of way. He is a Bushido is what should be right for you and what is right for your family and mm. your lord and your clan, but don't just do things because you're ordered to do them, which mm. is where the conflict comes from the yes. Shogun and his half-brother, the bad guy, um, uh, Naritsugu, who is like, 
he just tells people to do stuff and it's a classic I was just following orders bad guys the Nuremberg like, defense exactly it's the Nuremberg defense mm. and he completely goes against that and is like even if your lord orders you to murder people you shouldn't just randomly murder people there is still should be a place in this world for honor and goodness and all this kind of stuff and it, yep. it's the classic standing up for what is right mm-hmm. but the fact that he does it going against the code kind of going against the grain in that way is what makes me like Shinzaemon so much and yeah, why he's yeah, yeah. such a cool character. Mm. Definitely. Tim, I bounce to you for your pick. I'm going to go from our most recent pick to our oldest. Ooh. Everyone gets surprised that I'm not going for the oldest film. I know, yeah. yeah. I mean, nearly. Uh, almost, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm one year before one of Matt's picks. <laughs> uh... We're journeying back from 2010 to 1961. Ooh. My God. Uh, and was before better, Matt was born. I was but a, a spry man of 43 <laughs> back then. <laughs> Matt was only 112. Yeah. Uh, and we've, we've talked about him so much. We kind of had to have one of his films in there. Yeah. Um, we haven't gone for probably the one that most people would expect. Most people would think Seven Samurai. The one with Samurai title, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, of course, talking about Akira Kurosawa. Uh, I've gone for y- Yojimbo, um, mm-hmm. which is terrific. Um, we've mentioned Toshiro Mifune a few times. Obviously, like an amazing Japanese actor mm-hmm. um, yep. and star of many, many. Of uh, worked a lot with Kurosawa, but also in many, many samurai films. Yeah, for um, a lot of people, he is. The Japanese actor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is such a fantastic showcase for him. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I mentioned comedy earlier. And I think this is such, he gives such a great comic performance in this film. Um, for people who don't know it, it's essentially about a wandering Ronin or Yojimbo, which means bodyguard, who wanders into a town. Literally, like the, the, the opening of the film is him wandering along a road, picks up a stick, throws it into the air, and then picks a dis- direction based on what way the stick lands. Yep. Um, ends up in this town where there's two gangs, essentially. Yeah, they're like who are, crime lord faction type yeah, things. Basically, yeah, basically. Um, who are facing off, and like one is support, sort of entangled with the mayor, and the other one's entangled with the guy who wants to be mayor and stuff like that. And he basically decides to play them off against each other and hire himself out as a bodyguard first to one and then to the other. And then he does something for one of them, but then he tells the other one about it. So that, but tells them that, you know, someone else did it. And, and for a significant, for about two thirds of the film, he basically is just doing it for shits and giggles. Like there is a great bit, the kind of the opening, well, not quite the opening bit, but the kind of the first, big time that he plays them off against each other. He hires themselves out to one of these gangs and they all come out into the street and they basically line up in this main street ready to kind of charge at each other. Um, and he's kind of proved his skill against one of the gangs, then gone over to the others and been like, hey, I just uh, sliced up three dudes over there. Do you want to hire <laughs> me as a, as, a, as a warrior for your, for your gang? And they're like, yeah, yeah, great. We're going to go wipe them out. Brilliant. Everyone trots out into the street and then he turns around and goes, Ah, actually, I've decided I don't want to fight. Just climbs up this platform, yes. sits on it, and then these two gangs are out there, 
having got themselves all hyped up for this fight and are just facing off against each other. And he's just sat there with this kind of shit-eating grin, just being <laughs> like, you guys suck and I'm going to watch you kill yourselves and it was going to be amusing. Um, he but, says, I'll stay in this town because it's better off without any of you still alive. Yeah, yeah. essentially like, he's yeah. like, both of these, like, they're bad people, but also they suck at being bad. Like, they're incompetent yeah. criminals. Yes. Yeah. And it's amusing for me to play them off against each other until they're all dead and then the the town is improved. Mm-hmm. And also I've got Done to my watch, job. Uh, yeah, I've, yeah, I get to watch some hilarious, you know, uh, ineptitude. Chicanery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, There's a hilarious sort of like, because Tim, you, you, you've nailed it there. That I think this is the difference between this version and the two American remakes mm. of... of um, yes, because yeah. it, re- it was remade as... Um, well, let's say Fist- American, one Italian and yes. one American. Sorry, yes. Fist- Fistful, Fistful of, of Dollars, dollars yeah. yeah, in 64. So only three about years say, later. If anybody's like, sounds familiar. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a Fistful of Dollars. Yeah. It, and there was sort- a whole lawsuit around yeah, that. Yeah, because yes. it it's not official remake. No. no. They never credited Kurosawa or anything. Or no, like, oh, and then in hell. 1996, it got a remake as Last Man Standing, starring Bruce Willis yeah. as a kind of Prohibition-era thriller. Great fucking concept, Italians versus Americans. Mm, like, yeah. Uh, Italians versus Irish-Americans, sorry. Mm. And, and it's, it's, it, but the difference is, both of those movies, there's elements of it, bits of it in the Leone one, but they lose the humour. Yeah. It's not as funny. No. Um, it's, it's, it's like, well, there's, you've got the mercurial agent of chaos, mm. but that level of humor to that rise of like, this guy's yeah. fucking, and what, what a player yeah. is amazing. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's that thing of, you, you get, Toshiro Mifune is so great, and, God, he's handsome. He, oh, so, such a good looking yeah. man. God, he's handsome. Um, but also, he just gives off this aura of, even when he's fucking around, just this amazing competence. Mm. And it's so clear from the word go that he is so far ahead of everyone in this town in terms of capability yeah. that he's just breezy. Like, so it's just water off a duck's back to him. Um, and, and that allows him to be so kind of light in it. Um, and he has this kind of like shoulder jiggle that he does constantly. Um, that's apparently the, it's him yeah. pretending he's got fleas. Because the, the um, Kurosawa was like the character's kind of like a dog, yes, um, just kind of wandering around, and he's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just like... get loose in his own t- yeah, uh, yeah. kimono. He's like, yeah, he's quite scratching things. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's such a great performance by him. Um, and then eventually he kind of gets pulled into the conflict when he sees like innocent people are being hurt, and then of course it builds to a bit at the end where he just completely wrecks shop. Yeah, um, and you talk about like guns, for example. I was yes. about to bring that up. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's yeah, it's such a great so one of the, the the sort of person who appears about kind of a third of the way through the film, who's like the one competent bad guy, mm. or semi competent at least, comes comes from the kind of the big city and has a gun. Yeah. Which is like, oh, this, sword's not gonna help here. Yeah, yeah, this this changes the dynamics of things. Um and uh, yeah, um, Tatsu uh, uh, Nakade. Nakade, Nakade, yeah. He, he, uh, the one we mentioned earlier, who's in Ran as as the old man, yeah. the old lord. Uh, Tatsu Nakade is is such a diverse range, and he's got this terrifying face. Yeah, he's he's terrifying, Haunting. but he's also this kind of louche, yes, kind of douchey like yeah. 
you it, you totally buy it as like, oh, he's gone off to the big city and now he thinks he's a big deal. Yeah. The way he but wears his also... kimono, I mean, he's like almost like wearing a sling slightly. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah what yeah. are you doing? But he's also got this coldness to him that that is is great, and so he's he's a great villain for the piece because it's it's kind of two people who don't really give a shit about this town. Yes. But then facing off over the fate of it. Um, as a, and he's like the younger brother of one of the gang leaders yes, as well. And they're exactly. like rivalry between the three brothers on that side yes, of things is all the, tying the, into it. Like the one in charge, the one who's just a complete, one complete idiot. idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it always reminds me of like Pixie from Monkey. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then, and then him as uh, Unosuke. Um, and it's such a great, like the, uh, talk about kind of like efficiency of storytelling. Mm. Um, when uh, Mifune's character, who who basically Sanjiro. is Sanjiro, yeah, um, he basically gives his name by like someone asks him his name, yeah, and yeah. he just kind of looks out the window, and it's I forget what the translation. The translation is basically thirty something. Yes, yeah, going I, on forty. Thirty, it's year like old, th- yeah. thirty year yeah. old. Chrysanthemums or something. Uh, it's, it's Mulberry fi- Field. Mulberry Field. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that? I've got it written here. Um, Kuatabake Sanjuro, which is Mulberry Field, because he like just looks out and is like, yeah. I don't know, um, Mulberry Field. Yeah. Kobayashi. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly, it's basically, yeah. it's basically, you know, you sort of what's what's my name? Uh, uh, wristwatch, lamp, lamp. Mun. <laughs> are you just saying things that are in the room? Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just that, and it's not even just a sense of like, because again, mm. a samurai's name and heritage is so important. So that that disregard, of like, ah, yes, yeah, doesn't matter. Off. Well, it's the fact that he's a ronin, right? Again, tying yeah, exactly. into that bushido and the the legacy with the clan and the history and the nobility of being a samurai and all that kind of stuff. How are we talk about what a ronin is? A, a wandering masterless samurai. Yeah, mm-hmm. when you when your master dies, basically you have to go find work somewhere else, and either you kill yourself or go. I'm no longer can call myself a samurai yeah, until yeah. I find a new retainer, someone to work and for. And then yeah. they're often in cinema. They're often the characters who are, as we then learn in the in the western stuff, they're the lone gunslinger. They're they're off yes. wandering through town. Yes. They're the Mandalorian. You're not a sheriff. You're not a marshal. You don't work for the military. Exactly. Yeah. You're just a gun for yeah. hire. You're just a super skilled badass who just wanders <laughs> from town to town. You need kicking to ass, taking names, yeah. bedding babes, getting yeah. yen. Yeah. Doing what you do best, <laughs> and it's it's interesting because we talked about all the the, the various cross pollination of genres that that happens with with samurai stuff. The thing we didn't talk about is noir. Yeah, and, good point. And Yojimbo yeah. is an unofficial adaptation of uh, a Dashiell Hammett short story. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> called Red Red Harvest, oh. and it's also influenced by another. Red Harvest was never made into a film. And then there's another story called The Glass Key, which was adapted. Which that I was, think, yes. Yeah, which yeah. has elements of it taken into Yojimbo. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, it's classically iconic Japanese cinema yeah. inspired by, Kurosawa especially, yeah. inspired by American stuff. Yes, and but it looks so, like, a lot yeah. of High Noon and Shane um, yes. like references and, and kind of influence in, in uh, it's such Yojimbo a Western. as well. It's Yeah, but it's got, uh, the thing I was going to say, it's, it's got the moment where Sanjiro walks into town and a dog walks past that's got a hand in its mouth. Oh, just like yeah. a human hand. Yeah. And it's such great shorthand for like, oh, this place fucked up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because he got like in, in, in um, Fistful of Dollars, like, oh, 
measured up all the coffins and the second walks in town. Yes. Up as well. so it's it's nice. But yeah, it's like, and the, Ujimbo has the exact same thing. It's got exactly. the coffin maker who's happy because he's in lots of business. business. Yeah. Yeah. But again, the dog is not in, uh, no. uh, not in my memory, at least. In Desperate, I was like, yeah, you missed a trick there. Yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's both funny and fucked up. Yeah. 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 Um, it kind of surprised me that like that's never happened in like a, a Tarantino film because it's exactly the kind of reference that he would pull. Yeah. John Wick 4 might have it. Yeah. John Wick <laughs> 3 might already have it. So. Yeah. <laughs> with Halle Berry's dogs, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure one of them walks by with testicles like in its mouth. At, at <laughs> Probably, some point. yeah. Um, and the other thing I, I wanted to touch on is um, the score mm. uh, by Masaru Soto, mm. um, which is really inspired by Henry Mancini. Funnily enough, like uh, it was the I think it was his first time working with Kurosawa, um, or or no no they had a really good working relationship. I think they'd worked together quite a few times. Mm. But he was basically just like do whatever you like. <laughs> um, that kind of freedom as well as for, for someone you trust is like yeah it's going to produce something amazing. Um, and it's just so it's so playful. Um, it's got this lightness to it that perfectly matches the tone of Sanjiro. Mm. And of Mifune's performance, where it just feel it feels like he's just drifting through life, and he's just doing this for his own amusement. Yeah. Um, and then obviously once the film, it never gets serious, serious. But once he starts investing in the stakes, yeah, yeah it, it, there's a subtle shift in the music um, that really sells that. Um, and of course, you know, we're talking about a, a composer uh, with with Sato who. Worked on Seven Samurai with big bombastic and Godzilla movies and Godzilla well. movies yeah. exactly yeah exactly yeah. so he's he's with so this he, big you, presence yeah you're used to this big like orchestral sound and, yeah, yeah. and then suddenly you get this like light plinky, plinky. piano yeah, yeah 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 it's it's you're right it's that playful nature um with a lot of personality because it's mm. reflecting the characters on screen yeah 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 lovely lovely harmony there yeah yeah and and then you you get to the end and he just wanders off again. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it has a sequel, which is just as well, not just good. Yeah. Very fucking good. Called Sanjiro. Yes. Sanjiro, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's one of those like, is it, it, I mean, it's very much in the man with no name thing because it's the character's name changes, but then it's in both films, it's obviously a fake name. Yeah. But it's the same actor playing basically the in, same in role. In the same clothes. Uh, yeah. And he all has the same like, crest on the yes. on the kimono and stuff yeah. so like it's definitely the same bloke yeah and then you have crossover stuff which is like fucking you know uh oh my god imagine a world we had like so many different characters in one movie you know in the marvel mm. cinematic universe like do you know uh Zatoichi, i mentioned earlier that that blind um wandering samurai it's like yeah well ronish should say yeah i remember that there's a film literally called Zatoichi meets Yojimbo. Yes. It's like, in like the what? 70s, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Like literally like uh yeah, like five, six years after this movie came out. Yeah. It's like, oh by the one, no, nine years, sorry. It's like, yeah, here's this version. We've got two other it played by the the, the, the actors in question. It's like, that's insane. Mm. It's an insane crossover. But you get those things in the yeah. 60s, 70s. Have you have you seen it by yes. curiosity? Yeah. What is it? What's it like? Mm. <laughs> it doesn't live up to its premise. No. No. It's one of those things you think this is going to change cinema, and you yeah. watch you go, that was fine. Yeah, I can't. We'll we'll get into this more later, but yeah, I can imagine their tones don't necessarily. It's match it's up yeah, perfectly, but, but there is a um. 
you can see why they attempted it. Uh, and you can see why it could have been really interesting as a, as a execute thing. I should point out, it's not bad. Yeah. Uh, the, I think for, for the first 25 Zatoichi films, mm. if not all the Zatoichi films, are actually really good. Yes, um, Matt did just say 25 there. Yeah. <laughs> you think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is big with like 30? Yeah. Zatoichi also mm. has 30 something. Mm. At that point with one actor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 it's basically you think these two iconic characters meeting would be really cool mm. and it turns out to be just fine. There's quite a few of those moments uh, in recent times. You've got these iconic characters thinking, oh, wow. Or mm. even actors specifically. Mm. When these two meet, I mean, if you take out Heat, for example, exclude mm. that one and say Al Pacino and, uh, mm. you know, Robert yeah. De Niro. They're both two of them films together? You're a big Righteous Kill fan? <laughs> <laughs> exactly it. Yeah. Like, obviously, yeah, Kill the Irishman's got some good stuff in it. Kill the Irishman's a different film entirely. Sorry, <laughs> the Irishman, sorry. Um, that's got some 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 good bits in it, but mm. it, you know, it's you know for a lot of people. But it does. It feels like we missed a really big crossover thing because the, the crossover movie with them really was them both in Godfather Part Two playing yeah. in different time zones, time timeline. Sorry. Um, but yes, it, it it's a it's a weird one. It's not mm. as good, but the character endured and it's yeah. it's very iconic and very and cool. I think you can definitely draw a line from Sanjuro to uh, Han Solo. Almost definitely. <laughs> we okay. The lovable scoundrel. Yeah. The, yeah. The wandering gunslinger. Yeah. Yeah. Do gooder yeah. for his own chaotic good sort of like yeah. Chaotic neutral kind of like that yeah. little shrug that Harrison Ford does like. Yeah. 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 I don't care about this town. Oh, okay. I guess I'll I help him out. Yeah. I mean, here's a little weird thing. So, 1985, Jack mentioned about uh, Ran coming out, and we mentioned, oh yeah, Back to the Future, Back to the Future two and three, especially big plot premise. Is them saying, "Oh my God, fistful of dollars with the uh, bulletproof yeah. thing." It's like, yeah. <laughs> Where do you think they got that idea from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Matt, hello. We know you've been eager and waiting. Pick one. <laughs> um, right, okay. Uh, my first choice is I'm going to make some. Okay, so here's the thing that I think uh, listeners of the show will be very surprised to hear. My two picks are not Akira Kurosawa films. Mm. And I don't I don't think that's necessarily surprising because yeah. that's the obvious place to go and you were like no oh, no 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 uh-huh. more obscure. The world is my oyster. Well, it's I'll be honest with you. Akira Kurosawa is my favorite director and I love his movies, but um I knew we'd be talking about his stuff. Yeah. At, at it's length impossible to avoid when talking about samurai films. So I thought I'm going to give some attention to some other things. And the bold claim is that the two films I've picked, I believe, are the two best samurai films. The two ever. best samurai films I've made. <laughs> yeah, except for some samurai and other bits, pieces like Kurosawa. But the, I, I, there are... <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! I've got a these, really, really these, bold claim. These are Hot the, take here. These the are the two best, best ever. apart from all the others. Apart, that are apart from all the other really famous classic ones. You know how those other films were held as some of the greatest films ever? Hot take, they are. <laughs> I thought I could just slide through there, but no, 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 you got away with nothing, motherfucker. <laughs> nothing gets past these hawks. <laughs> yeah, over the years, you guys have been on me. Um, but yes, so to explain, um, my first choice uh, is from 1962, so the year after Jimbo, uh, with again, uh, aforementioned as a Tatsuya Nakadai, um, and it's called. Harakiri. Um, and this is where I get a little cheeky. I will also very briefly be talking about this remake. You motherfucker. Anyway, 
How does he do it every time? Goddamn, got away every time. Doing a mat. Yeah. So basically, it is a really fascinating counter to the sort of romantic portrayals and ideals of these films, and it's a very much an interesting. It's almost if we talk about that, you know, a film made set in the past is still talking to the audience of the time period when it's released, and therefore becomes more sort of timeless. And it's kind of a cautionary post-war tale about nationalism for the audience as well. So again, we're talking about the 60s. Um, so the war is very much living memory. Yeah. And yeah. you're talking 15 about... 15 years ago, basically. Exactly. And uh, the idea of economics sort of stifling and things slowly picking up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and Japan being, a, a, you know on the fringe of getting it somewhere interesting, important, et cetera, et cetera. So the story, uh, which I'm pretty sure is based on a, a sort of short story, um, but it's directed by uh, Masaki Kobayashi, and he wanted to do something that would sort of sit alongside the sort of Kurosawa romantics, I think, but be a bit more earnest. And the story is, well, the story itself and other performances is part of the reason why it is so heartbreaking and crushing and talking about yeah, I mean, we like Jack with the Thirteen Assassins thing. Following the rules rigidly because it's the right and honourable thing to do mm. is sometimes the most fucked up thing to do, and you shouldn't be following blindly because tradition dictates it. Mm. You should have a human side to you where you go, "Hang the fuck on." Mm. Um, so it's set in the 1630s, and um, there's a Ronin who comes along and he goes to this uh this lord's house and says, "I." Basically, would like to kill myself. Perform seppuku. Harakiri is the uh, sort of bastardized slang version of the honorable act of seppuku. Mm. Kill yourself, which I mentioned before, is taking a short sword, sticking it in your gut, sliding it through the stomach, mm. and then your second would be um, have the honor in inverted commas mm. of taking your life, cutting your head off. Mm. So you are practically dead, and it's the mm. long, slow. It, it, we talk about in like. Um, Reservoir Dogs, getting shot in the gut, you bleed out slow over yeah. a long period of time. It's, it's a horrible, horrible way to die. It's like, I'll just stick a sword in here and slide it through my intestines. It's like, there's no major organs there on the, yeah. on the intestines. You're going to bleed out slowly and horribly. Mm. It's like, yes. And it's going to smell bad. It's going to stink. It's going it's to be just awful in every way, shape, and form. But in the way of the ceremony, it becomes a beautiful act in their eyes, etc. So this Ronan appears and says, and he's you know, bedraggled, he's got his beard, he's sort of scruffy top and up, and he's like, um, yeah, I've lost everything, and I want to kill myself. And there's a little, almost like, court that happens, where he's in the, the courtyard itself, surrounded by the retainers of the Lord, and they have like almost like a, a, um, a kangaroo court style, you know, hearing, saying, yeah, I'm going to tell you a story, though. And it's like, okay. We will let you kill yourself, uh, honorably, mm -hmm. and we'll witness it. But there's been a lot of shitty samurai going around. A lot of shitty ronin. Well, keep using this as an excuse, yeah. basically. Yeah. They'll come and say, I'm really destitute and really poor, and I was a noble lord, you know, a noble warrior, and now mm. I want to kill myself. And we hear the sob story, and they're basically conning us out of like money and resources and like, oh, take this, you know, uh, sack of rice and go about your way. You're a good mm. man. You 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 bounce back, that kind of thing. And fuck that. So we're going to want you to die. He said, oh, no, don't worry. I came here to die. Mm. I have no problem with that. I've made my peace. He said, okay, well, let me tell you about this time a couple of weeks ago about somebody who did come around here, this fucking upstart little kid, and we pushed him. Turns out he didn't even have a flipping, you know, sword properly done. It was, it was like a 
we made him cut himself with a bamboo sword yeah. slowly. And oh, you, did you put him out of his misery? No, he didn't until it was too late. He had to die horribly. Imagine kind of eviscerate yourself with a bit of wood. What a dickhead. So yeah, that's what we're telling you is going to happen to you. So no, 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 no. I get that. I'm here to kill myself. Um, and it, so far, this has sounded like a visit to my house where people <laughs> go, I want to kill myself. And I go, let me tell you this story first. <laughs> <laughs> You'll want to die. It sounds like living with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah. Uh, the story carries on quite straightforward. But you think, wow, it's pretty fucked up. It's pretty awful. Mm. And then the story pivots. I, I I guess it's a twist is the best way to put it. Um, it's not like you know, the gender of a dog is different. That's, that's a fucking twist. <laughs> Chance, don't, you, don't you fucking start, Matthew. Anyway, anyway, so um, go back yeah. to the good film. Yeah, it it pivots then, and it becomes more complicated. It starts to unspool a bit at a time, and things start to unravel. It's like, why do you think that person did come to you? Desperate, and you know, wielding next to nothing, and having mm. to. Do we? Should you have like maybe analyzed or asked why he did that? You know, oh, he's just scamming us. I was like, no, no, no. Maybe before you just judge everybody and think you're, you know, punishing a a a, a, a con artist effectively. Mm. You know, maybe examine what drove that individual to those lengths, mm. and then the individual who's there, the Ronin, reveals more information, and. Shit kicks off. Yeah. It sounds almost like the samurai version of an inspector calls. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> in in a in a strange way. I can see the comparison. In a strange mm. way, yeah. Um no, and as I say it is beautifully performed, masterfully shot. It draws everything into question about history and tradition and uh, roles and obligations and family and all this sort of stuff. It's 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 magnificent. There's a scene where a character is the, the whole thing about this clan and and their their obsession with how they appear and 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 the, the protocols. It's all about losing face and all that exactly kind of maintaining that, which is such an integral part of Japanese mm. culture as well. Like oh, e even today as well. Like I've I've worked with Japanese people and for Japanese people before. Yeah. And and worked in Japanese companies when I was in Japan and things like that. There's a real definite sense of like you do what is best to maintain the face of whoever you're representing. Yes. And that is mostly companies these days, but this is clans back then. This is yes. the samurai clans. And they talk about how there there's moments in in this film where you have duels that don't end with death. Yeah. They end with shame on the other person. Yeah. There's a, again, trying to spoil a thing or too many twists. Or yeah, anything. yeah, yeah. I know it's, it's a 60-year-old movie, but it's worth going and watching it and going in, you know, mm. as fresh as you can. There's a moment where one of the other characters has their sword broken, which is like the soul. They literally describe it as the soul of the samurai mm -hmm. and their top knot cut off. And the top knot thing is something we touched on in Shanghai Nights, funnily enough, because yes. Yes. of what Jackie Chan's character, Chong Wen, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, they talk about the significance of his ponytail in, in his, you know, his uh, monks, I guess they're monks. What, his warrior? Imperial warrior, Guard. Imperial Guard, yeah. thank yes. you, Tim, yeah. Yes. In, the, mm. That shows the honor of the Imperial Guard and having that cut off as huge disgrace and all that kind of stuff. Yes. In a similar kind of way, 
that ties into Harakiri, where you have these disgraced samurai having not having been killed and not having huh, the guts to mm. do seppuku. They just have their top knots cut off, and there's this whole like you should not be seen outside. Have a shame that yeah. like you've been robbed of. If, yeah. if your top knot's been cut off, you should be dead, kind of thing. There, that is a fate worse than death, and you need to kill yourself right now. Yeah, to even start hope. to atone. Yeah, even <laughs> yeah. even hope to atone for the sins that you've committed and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you get these like yeah really tense duels that end in yeah. just shaming the other person, humiliating them, and. Mm. Yeah, you get these. It's a really unusual twist on it, and I think it's is one of the more unique things because I think uh, as amazing as Yojimbo and Sandra are, and as Thirteen Assassins and Seven Samurai, mm. we've seen that done so many times. Mm-hmm. And Harry Kiri really stood out to me as one of the more original structures that is so entrenched in Japanese culture. And yeah. And because you can kind of translate Lone Wolf and Cub is basically the Mandalorian and Seven Samurai is Magnificent Seven and mm. Yojimbo is Fistful of Dollars. Harakiri feels so Japanese and so tied to the cultural concepts at the time and the structures of the Edo period and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I find it fascinating and it's it's a masterpiece. It's incredible. It, it is. I, I, again, absolutely 100% on, on, on the money there, Jack. I think... I think um... And and also that it takes that symbolism and 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 um really highlights how how pointless it is. It's like yeah, because they're, they're very much like almost worshiping like an idol, the armor, the clan armor, and to see that like taken and thrown to the ground is like fuck this and fuck you. All of this is nonsense. The only thing that matters mm. is people. And it's it's as you say, it's, it's a really hard one to think how you translate it. Um, I mean, I it probably would be able to do. <clears throat> me. You would be able to do a version potentially now, but we've got such a have and have nots divide. Mm. Um, and the idea of like, but this company is everything to me. This, this, this obligation, this patriotism, this sovereignty, it doesn't mean shit if mm. everything you stand for is a lie. And all, the, all this, this I'm, okay, I'm genuinely mm. trying to avoid the spoilers. Anything I'll add to that very briefly is that the year after, I think it was, <clears throat> sorry, yeah, the year after uh, Takashi Miike made 13 Assassins, he remade Harakiri. And it's like, don't do that. Because, you know, mm-hmm. wh- why would you fucking remake, like, you know. Casablanca. Uh, very much so. Like, so Unless take... you're making barbed wire. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> you are hitting all the fucking beats tonight. Christ. Um, uh, no. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, take some of the most iconic cinema you can think of in terms of, like, that, that represents your country specifically mm. and say, I'm going to remake it. It's like, that almost never goes well. Mm. Um, and there were those who will always say, nah, it's not that good. He doesn't bring much to it. The remake of Harakiri is fucking great. Oh, interesting. I really like it. I like it as well. I think it's yeah. really good. I think if anything, it does the same job, but does exactly what it does with 13 Assassins. Does the same thing again, makes it bloodier. <laughs> um, and also the cinematography is beautiful. Mm. So dark and so rich. And the performances are, are stunning. So um, I, again, I, I obviously recommend seeing the 1960s Harakiri. I think, mm. I think it's glorious, glorious cinema. But as we said before, if you can't get a hold of it as easy, you might be able to find the newer Harakiri mm. from 2011. Um, but um, yeah, uh, Harakiri is a masterpiece. It's a glorious thing. It's, it's, it's the best samurai story because it tells you the undertow of it all mm. and the expectation. Um, and it, nothing romantic about it. 
there's no again you talk about coming out of like the idea of a war and saying what was it like to be, fight nationalism? We don't want to put 47 Ronin out there because people might want to fight. I was like, no, fuck that. Mm. This is a this is from a, a generation who've said, we were fighting for the wrong reasons mm. because of honor and obligation to something that was lying to us. Emperors, you know, uh, honor, mm. expansion, bullshit. Yeah. And you yeah. think about what, uh, just as a society and as a nation, mm. Japan was dealing with in that generation like still dealing with fucking atomic bombs being dropped yeah on. Yeah. yeah and and, and, and impression, yeah. a massive defeat and the fact that you know yep. the world you know who can say if the average japanese person knew what was going on in say germany you know and, sure, and poland sure. and stuff like that but you know that information would have trickled over to there by mm. then and you have to go oh we allied with the people doing the Holocaust, yeah. and also we did, we, awful we, shit did in China. we did some terrible shit in China. Yeah. Oh, we, not just being slapped on the wrist, but for a nation of a nation of people who have defined themselves by war mm. for hundreds of years. Feudal, we call it feudal Japan war, because they were constantly at war with each war, other. War, war, and also, like Jack said, like saving face. Yeah, and and precisely. Yeah, not not. Allowing yourself to bring dishonor to yeah. the thing that you were representing, yeah, and then you lose a war, yeah, and yeah, lose the war, and having the rest of the world telling you you can never have an army again, yeah, that is. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to fetishize World War Two too much, but Germany was our big adversary in in, mm. in Europe and that sort of thing. Germany has an army. Yeah, Germany yeah. is one of the, the the biggest armies at the minute because yep. of the defense mm. budget spending. Um, because we understood the difference between Nazis and Germany, obviously, mm. and various things evolving. I say we, some British people don't understand the difference. Um, but the Japanese people still don't have an army. There, no. there are there are space there's, for there's America a, to park things. Force. Mm. Yeah, you can be involved, but you can't pick up a gun. You're peacekeepers. Mm. It's fascinating, but th that's not the point. Harakiri striking the mindset, and again coming back to it in the 2010s is a really interesting point. So I recommend that movie wholeheartedly. Agreed. To wrap things up on Harry Curie. Yes. It and Seven Samurai are 100% on Rotten Tomato. Of course they fucking are. Yeah. By the way, every all six films we're talking about, mm. the lowest rated one is my next pick at 83%. I, I can understand. The rest of them are 95, yeah. 96, 87, 100, and 99. Yeah. So put that in perspective. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not, we, we're not used to these numbers on Sinclair. Yeah, we like <laughs> we usually talk about zero percenters, yeah. not a hundred percenters. Eighty-three is like when you say it's a really, really, really high rated film, and the second was dog shit. Um, and eighty-three again is not a bad movie in the it's slightest. Certified it's, fresh. Is it is literally going to be like you're going to have the best fucking time with this movie? Yeah. Speak, speaking of which, Jack, because I think you're going to kick off a lot of frowns, and I'm going to run in to defend you every time. Um, what is your second samurai film? It is Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. Now wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'll check the inbox. <laughs> well, weirdly yeah, enough, there's, there's an 85 movie, not Ran, called uh, Mishima, Life in Four Chapters. And it's not set in the past. Um, it's set in the, literally in the 60s, I think it is, about the uh, author uh, Mishima, who I like his stuff, but it's very nation very nationalistic. And the idea of what a samurai is in a contemporary setting is very much part of that. And some people consider that a fantastic samurai tale, even though it's directed by, you know, Paul Schrader as, as an American. 
But I find it fascinating that this film exists and is as good as it is. Yep. It was basically written by director Jim Jarmusch, who you may know from a bunch of other stuff. He's got a very odd career. <laughs> Incredibly Coffee and odd cigarettes. Career. Yeah. Co- Coffee and cigarettes. Uh, Stranger Than Paradise. Dead Man a few years earlier. Mm. Oh, in, yeah. In the sort of yeah, 1995-ish. The Dead Won't Die. Was Dead Won't Die is his most one. recent film. Yeah. It's a very weird yeah. zombie film. I, 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 the more I watch it, the more I like it. Yeah. But that's because I like Adam Driver saying, ghouls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, he's one of my mum's favourite directors because my mum's got the weird... The Coen Brothers and Jim Jarmusch are like my mum's two favourite directors. Very weird Americana kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, weird like, Americana yeah, okay. stuff. Yeah. My, my mum's jam. Um, and the lead character, Ghost Dog, mm. is played by Forrest Whitaker. The inimitable Forrest Whitaker. And apparently it was basically Forrest Whitaker and Jim Jarmusch just sat down and were like, Hey Forrest, I'd love to work with you. What do you want to do? And they just chatted about stuff. Yeah. About like philosophy and life and death and mortality, and just had like dinner together. And he was like, Cool, I'll write something for you. And he's like, Cool, mm-hmm. see you in 18 months. And he came back mm-hmm. and he was like, Here's a whole script. What do you think? And it was just written for Forrest Whitaker to be like, Here you go, mate. Let's make this awesome film together. He's like, Cool. Do you want to work with Ruzza from Wu Tang Clan? Yeah, obviously yeah. I do. Ruzza is in this film, by the way. The the yeah. arguably the front man, one of the most prominent members of Wu Tang Clan, does all the music, so it's fucking amazing hip hop all the way through, mm-hmm. and it's this um, incredible blend, kind of what we touched on earlier, where it's this weird blend of different genres and styles and stuff all coming together in this amalgamation. This is East meets West. It's mafia meets samurai. It's old versus new it's this uh, incredible blend of of different ages and styles and topics and genres and philosophies and all this kind of stuff mm. and basically ghost dog the character he is a hitman for the mafia nice and simple straightforward but he follows bushido the samurai code of not injuring innocent people being as clean with his kills as he can he only harms his target and no one else, and lives this basically like hermit lifestyle with a little pigeon coop and stuff. Mm. And we, we it basically opens on him and his pigeon coop, and he owns books that are mostly uh, like the classics, like Frankenstein and um, the recorded sayings of Sunotomo, which is called Hagokire, which is the like legacy and philosophy of. Bushido and all that kind of stuff, and he mm. him basically understanding like ancient Japanese philosophy and all this kind of thing, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just him and his bed and and like books on philosophy and and classics and stuff. And he works for this guy called Louis, who's his like mafia contact, basically his boss, his master, as he calls him. Mm-hmm. And he sends him off on hits. And he said, "Oh, he's been working with him for years. He's got this like perfect run." And it turns all John Wick. It's John Wick before John Wick. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> we need to send our hitman to kill this hitman. And Louie does the whole, you, you kill John Wick's dog. <laughs> he does the whole, like, but he, he's done perfect contract. He's, he's, everyone I've sent him after, he has killed perfectly. Yeah. He's a ghost. 
Mm. How are you going to kill a ghost? And He's a ghost and a dog. He's ghost dog. <laughs> <laughs> Title card. And yeah, there's this moment where he realizes like, okay, he knows too much. He understands, again, try not to spoil anything. He learns some information about the mafia that could undo the mafia and it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. So they need to get rid of him. And Louis stands up for him against some of the other mafiosos and stuff. And you've got maybe one of my favorite dynamics between two characters in the history of cinema mm. is Ghost Dog having a conversation, for want of a better phrase, with an ice cream seller called Raymond. And Raymond doesn't speak English at all. And Ghost Dog doesn't speak Spanish. <laughs> and they just talk at each other and somehow understand each other. And it's this amazing, just transcending language kind of conversation that they have. And then, uh, sorry, he speaks French, doesn't he? Raymond, he's Creole. Um, he doesn't, Ghost Dog doesn't speak French. Raymond doesn't speak English. And they mm. transcend languages. They communicate with each other, just seemingly understanding each other in some, yeah, I don't know, subliminal kind of way. And you even have Ghost Dog's relationship with um, Perline, was this, this girl that he's like teaching books to, funny enough. Gives her a copy of Rashomon, of course. Of course. <laughs> and, and all the kind of classics and stuff. And they, it's just him like existing in this park and just hanging out. And then also <laughs> dodging all of these fucking idiot, bumbling, stupid mafioso hitmen. Yeah. Who are, again, in a similar way to Yojimbo, are like so below him in so many ways. He's just like, <sighs> and as they're going, they, they like, crawl the town because it's some unknown it's sort of new york sort of la generic american city kind of thing yeah neither yeah yeah, there's like elements of this and elements of that they go around like taking out anybody who owns a pigeon coop (laughs) and (laughs) there's there's a big native american guy who just turns around and goes like ah you stupid fucking white people (laughs) he's like well he's 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 not black, but he's big and he's scary so uh that's gotta be the guy right he's like oh fuck's sake Mm. um yeah, and it goes through, and again, not spoiling anything, there's there's a brilliant kind of culmination where Louis and Ghost Dog all kind of learn more about what's happening in the inner workings of the Mafia and the whole kind of... And it goes like, oh, it's John Wick meets, meets Sopranos meets a samurai film. It's this, yeah, like, three or four different genres all happening at once with this weird, like, spiritual... And also hip hop in the background thing. It's like <laughs> such. It should not work. Yeah, like many of Jim Jarmusch's films, it should not fucking <laughs> work. And somehow, I think it's fucking spectacular and captivating. Mm. And yeah, I just love every second. I think Forrest Whitaker puts in an, an all-time performance. And I know Whitaker has talked about it being one of his favorite characters he's ever played, mm. yeah. and how much mm. fun him and Jim had coming up with the character and that initial conversation they had. Like, oh, there's. One of my career-defining roles, even mm. though nobody's fucking seen it. And yeah. <laughs> like Last King of Scotland, uh, list of a bunch of other stuff. Like yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, and Ghost Dog. I really mm-hmm. love Ghost Dog. Mm-hmm. It's like what a, an incredible career Forrest Whitaker has had, and he always singles out this film as one of his favorites. Yeah. Do you think Lawrence Fishburne's character in John Wick, the Bowery King? Is almost kind of meant to be Ooh, an older version so. of Ghost yes. Dog. I yeah. think because he's got a... the pigeons. Yeah, and he's yeah. Very I much think so. there's definitely that. Yeah, 
There's, if not, it's definitely a nod it's definitely towards... definitely a reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's consciously aware of what it's doing. I think it has to be. There's an interesting thing here because we talk about um, Riza and Forrest Whitaker. And we ha- there's this thing we haven't touched on because, to be brutally honest, we don't have the... Um, the lived cultural understanding to talk about this, but we can obviously reference other people's references. With, with three white guys on a podcast. Yes. We can very arrogantly just talk about everyone else's culture, which we always do. Here we are talking about samurai. Three white guys educate um, you about yeah. samurai films. Yeah. yeah. But specifically, there's an interesting thing. Um, I mean, I, I, I absolutely adore the Wu-Tang Clan. And Me too. I remember something in an interview with, I thought it was specifically, about how when you're brought to America or your ancestors are brought to America as slaves, you kind of don't always want to own own that culture that's mm. yours because you don't feel it is yours. You feel it's something that isn't, something you've inherited and sort of, you're not allowed to own it. So you reinvent yourself. And there is a huge swathe of uh, African-Americans who love anime and kung yeah. fu and Asian culture. Yeah. And there's a wonderful phrasing, which I think other people have used, which is, to be mesmerized by a culture that is as complete as it isn't white. Mm. So you can go and watch these movies about these honorable individuals and these captivating single heroes and think, this is it. And I mean, again, Riz and, and the others founding the Wu-Tang Clan off the idea of like, we'd watch these movies and go, that's us. We're yeah. that group. We're that gang. That's us. This is amazing. Mm. You know, we had that, that, but you know, the quickness of the swords, that's our words. You know, it's, mm. it's beautiful. And Forrest Whitaker, um, Again, it's the like and like anything. Most <laughs> I feel that's so fucking like virtue signaling, but so many white people just go, "I like that bit of culture. We're gonna do it, take it and run with it and do our own thing with it," because it's usually it comes from a place of love. It's a place of like really enduring and, and 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 a celebration of things. Hopefully, most of the time, um, when African Americans do it, it's like that's a weird thing to do. It's like no, it isn't, not at all. You've been doing that for thousands of years. You fucking Caucasians. it is, yeah. It's like, so it's like, see, it's like, oh, well, that's a weird choice going with, um, you know. Uh, well, they're doing samurai, dog. but with hip hop. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. That's a, that, what a crazy device. Like, no, it isn't. No. Makes Ignoring the fact that Wu Tang Clan have old kung fu clips and samurai films in their music exactly. and have done since day one. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's such a perfect wedding of like, these are the things we like and these are the things we do. We're pairing them up together. It's like, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great place. Um, so, yeah, Ghost Dog is a, is a really interesting choice. Because again, I know people are like, well, why are you picking things classic? It's like, we have. It's a 30-year-old movie nearly. Uh, or 25 years old yeah. at this point. Um, yeah, it's from 1999, by yeah. the way. And hits those emotional beats of Bushido. Mm. Yeah. And and bettering yourself to a certain ideal that you think you would think everyone should strive for, even though this person is a, a hitman or a killer. It's like, yeah, but I kill with this sort of... Um, it, it, like the Leon sort of stuff, I think. It's like, you know, it's that honor and that consideration that goes into it. And again... Considering it's something to do mm. with death, just the consideration. And at the death. end of the day, samurai killed people. You know that was their job. Yeah, that's yep. exactly right. Yep. So yeah, go and check out Ghost Talk again. Very hard to find. Mm. Ba- yeah, I, I, I have. I feel, like, I feel like it had a really big moment in the DVD age. Yes, but then all those DVDs seem to have disappeared. Yeah. So um, I have one. <laughs> so do I. Uh, apparently, you can. They're that's going it. on eBay for like. 60, 70, Fuck 80 sake. quid, stuff like that. Like, yeah, people mm. really, people who give a shit about Ghost Dog really want Ghost Dog. And yeah, I happen to have my mum's copy from, <laughs> from yeah. the early 2000s. I was like, oh, that's lucky. I yeah. think it doesn't exist on Blu ray yet. It doesn't. No, God it was never released sake. on Blu ray. Again, probably be a Criterion Collection thing because they 
they did one for Dead Man not too long ago, and they did a Blu-ray release and stuff. So yeah, they're probably working their way through the Jarmouche collection. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so if you do want to see it, good luck. You'll probably find it online somewhere. You'll be fine. Yeah, but good luck finding it on any streaming services or or finding a cheap DVD or it, anything like that. This episode must be the worst for that. Where we're yeah. recommending films you can't Rick, see. I just listed all of the. Every film is rated. This is the lowest one, eighty three percent. Like I said, Ghost mm. Dog is the lowest rated. <laughs> great films you can't watch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, here's a bunch of like all time great, incredible films. A hundred percent on Rotten Tomato films. You probably can't find. Yeah. And I then know. we'll get to season 10. It'll be terrible films that are easily accessible. We got this oh, one for a pound. And probably half of you own it. I did, thing. yeah. I, I bought the DVDs for season 10 the other week. and No issues. It, it was like the entire season was like 40 quid. <laughs> for fuck's sake. And huh? that includes, here's a little tease for you. Films that, are, so as I often do when mm. we buy the DVDs for the season, I don't just get the first one and the bad sequel. I often get the, the third one. Or mm-hmm. the fourth one or the fifth one. If it's like a complete a thing. Film, yeah. complete collection. One of them, I bought a box set of a TV show to go with it. Ooh. There's a little tease for you, listeners. A bunch of the people on Discord will probably guess it from that. But fuck you. I mean, I think a lot of them are going <laughs> to be guessing a lot of wrong Mag. things as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, including a box set of an entire series of TV mm. and 10 sequels plus all of their related films. Ended up being, I think it was like fifty three pounds or something, and that's still not the same as one eBay of you could, yeah, you, Ghost Dog. <laughs> good, good luck trying to get Ghost Dog for less than that. Yeah, but yeah, I highly recommend it as something just completely different from other samurai things, but still carries so many of the qualities from things like the the honor and shame side of things we talked about with Harakiri and the the balance of humor and weird cultures and stuff mm. from your Jimbo. It brings all of these different things together in such a unique way, and I just absolutely adore everything about that movie. Yeah, in the same way that Throne of Blood is, is you know, a, a, a taking the, obviously the it's direct story, yeah, of, you know, uh, avarice and ambition in the Scottish Highlands and going, want that in Japan? Yeah, all right. Why Does not? it work? Fuck it. Make it work. <laughs> same thing here. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Tim, over to you for your second and final pick. Yeah. So we mentioned in my Yojimbo discussion, Zatoichi. Mm. Yep. Um, and Zatoichi, as as Matt mentioned, is a character who has been in a lot of films. Um, yeah. He was originally even more than Godzilla. If yeah. That's possible. Uh, so he's a, he is a blind swordsman essentially. A and blind and masseur and masseur. <laughs> um, hence my opening quote. Uh. He was originally a minor character um, in in a film uh, developed by uh, Daiei Film and the actor uh, Shintaro Katsu, mm-hmm. um, who, who who played him. Yeah. Um, and there between 1962 and 1989, 26 films uh, were made. And during that period as well, from 74 to 79, there was a TV series of Zatoichi that had a uh, hundred episodes, uh, including a big two-part finale. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was incredibly, like this character was incredibly prolific in Japanese culture at that time. You know, you thought there were a lot of Sherlock Holmes adaptations <laughs> in the in the early 2000s to, uh. to, to the 2010s. 
Zatoichi was everywhere. I'm trying to think of an equivalent where there's one individual, one actor, at least to start with, mm. um, who played the same role for basically 30 years. It would be like cinema and TV. It would be like if all the Bond films starred Sean Connery and they came out in half the time it's taken them to come out. That's a really good point. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's more Zatoichi films than there are Bond films. Mm. Yeah. Total. Like, yeah. Half the amount of actors playing the role. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, So, yeah. So that, that series, some of which kind of have a sense of sort of uh, continuity between them and some of which don't yeah very loosey-goosey again like kind Godzi- of jo- kind like of godzilla like it, godzilla yeah a lot of mashup of like yeah. oh it's this era of this thing and yeah that doesn't count and this is just a big fun one where he's punching other monsters and then mm. this one's a deadly serious one about nuclear war <laughs> nuclear more <laughs> nuclear war cuts to i'm gonna punch a monster on the moon yeah i'm, I'm shoving what? a tree down your neck bitch <laughs> like, yeah. eat your broccoli <laughs> so yeah so 26 films from 1962 to 1989. Yeah. Which one of them are you talking about, Tim? I'm not talking about the one. Oh, there. Yeah. there we go. After that, there is a gap of 14 years yeah. with no Zatoichi films. Mm-hmm. Fell out of favor. We're not making these anymore. Like you said, it's it's the it's the lull period where yeah. anime kind it, of picks up the bat in a bit. Yeah, goes a bit weird with it. But most people are like, we're done with these. Then in 2003. Takeshi Kitano, aka Beat Takeshi. Beautiful AKA that guy from Battle Royale. Yeah. Yeah. The terrifying teacher from the, Battle Royale. Yeah. Director, uh, actor, tap dancer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that, weird enough, that factors into this film. There's a tap dance sequence. Yeah. The fuck? But, but notably, he is not in he's it. He's not in it. No. no. Yeah. Um, but Blind he's, tap he's at this point been known to do really violent gangster movies. Yeah. He, I can't, again, who, who he's got a face for a Joe Pesci. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He decides to come along and make his Zatoichi film. Such a fucking flex. It's such like, what are you doing? Is that with the whole Harakiri remake? It's like, yeah. what are you doing? And yeah. of course, because it's a quasi remake after a period of time, it's just called Zatoichi. Yes. From from what I understood, people kept trying to make do another Zatoichi film, and they were like, yeah, we'll. Cast beat Takeshi, we'll get Takeshi Kitano mm. in there. Like and he was like, well, mm, no, piss off. And he kept just saying no until somebody finally said, Fine, make it yourself. And he went, I will. There it is. That's all <laughs> I needed. <laughs> That's all I needed to yeah. hear. Like, yeah. And I'll be blonde. No, it's like you'll do what? <laughs> <laughs> um and so yeah, he comes along and he makes this amazing film uh that was hugely critically acclaimed at the time. Um, it's interesting you talked about uh with Thirteen Assassins the CGI blood mm. that's in that because uh Zatoichi has a lot of the same. Um, if anything, it probably it's looks the two thousands. Yeah, yeah, it probably looks worse. It was it was at that yeah. kickoff time. It it might have been one of the first. Battle Royale had a Bat- lot of Bat- fake blood, yeah. and because it was successful, everyone did. Yeah, and then in terms of like uh, um, mainstream Hollywood cinema. Mm. Um, 300 made it worse. Yes, yeah. Um, but it's kind of meant to look fake in this to a certain degree. Um, like Beat Takeshi has said, like, yeah, I, that's that's deliberate. I know it doesn't look perfect. Almost cartoony in a way. Almost, almost yeah. a little bit cartoony. 
Um, and the violence in this is, it's not 13 assassins level, but there is some grisly bit. There's people getting fingers chopped off while they're trying to reach <laughs> yeah. for their sword and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And again, it follows that very classic samurai film mold where it's Zatoichi kind of in his role as a ronin sort of I mean he's, he's sort of more even more ambiguous than that he just kind of wanders and gets into shit yeah um comes into this town turns out there's a there's a crime organization there he meets some of the locals finds out they've been done wrong all builds up he occasionally has some small fights mm. And then it all builds up towards this bloody conclusion where he's just like, mm. okay, now it's time to wreck ass. Yeah. And again, I, I, I know we've said this. Motherfucker's blind. Yeah. He's not daredevil, so he's not like mm. superhuman blind. He's not faking it. He's just blind and in tune with everything. Yeah. And it's bloody and brilliant. And his, his katana is in his cane. Yes. That he uses to, you know, feel his way around places. He's tapping away with his little mm. thing, little tap, tap, tap. Um, we touched on it in the Donnie Yen episode a little while ago. Chura Inwe, a blind swordsman, for want of a better phrase, is a direct reference to Zatoichi. Yes. And was requested by Donnie Yen because he wanted <laughs> to do it. And you have that moment where Chura comes out and does the whole, like, leave them, let them pass, and, like, comes out and faces the stormtroopers mm. and then just whoops a bunch of ass while mm. being blind. That's Atoichi. Yeah. That's the whole thing. He comes out as like, oh, I'm just a bumbling. Oh, sorry. I just stumbled. <laughs> and everyone's dead. And it's like, sword back in the cane. And uh, oh, sorry. I'm still a bumbling. Yeah. Oh, don't mind me. I'm just. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's incredible. Like, it has those moments. Again, bringing that levity to the mm. extreme mm. violence. Yeah. There's moments where he's like tripping over stuff and almost like the, again, to touch on the Jackie Chan stuff we talked about before. The drunken master style thing yeah, where he's like yeah. bumbling around but also mm. kicking ass as he does yeah. so. It's fucking spectacular. But they, they it, it strikes a very interesting tone because yeah. there's a lot of Zatoichi films where he is that kind of bumbling, almost like yeah. a Mr. Magoo they but go with a too katana. Far, yeah, there's yeah. one with Shintaro Katsu and he um, is playing a shamisen, ding, 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 mm. playing away. And then someone's like, oh, fucking things ain't at him. And like, you know, just chuck these little coins yeah. at him. Mm. Fuck him. See if I can throw him off. As he's playing, he's batting them away. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's cool. But it's dumb. <laughs> um, and it, it, this Satoichi from the 2003, the very, this won't be a spoiler at all, the very last shot of the film is it's a stupid joke. It is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and it's like, as a twist on a twist, because you think it's a twist and turns out it's a twist. Yeah. yeah. Is it a twist? Oh, it's a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but interestingly enough, it kind of keeps humor away. It doesn't make Satoichi that source of humor yes. particularly in this film no because no because takeshi i'm sorry katana doesn't tend to do that no and there, there is comedy and i will get to that at the moment because i think the comedy in that is comedy in it is quite funny yeah um but yeah takeshi he said he actually considers zatoichi the villain of the film in some ways mm. um because it treats him like this lethal force um and you get that very you know he he's a you look at his face and you're like oh this this dude can fuck me up um that's just beat Takeshi's that's face. i mean that's just beats to face <laughs> he just he, has one of those faces he doesn't he doesn't try and you know soften himself or, at all for this no. character no um and funnily enough that's one of the reasons that he is not in the final dance number because he's like 
no, 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 he's not good no. enough to get this dance number at the end, which mm. is fantastic. Mm. Um, and again, the music in this is really, really good. There's some great yeah. moments where it it mixes the percussion with what is going on in the scene. Uh, there's a moment when Zatoichi's arriving into the village and there's four guys in a field beating posts into the field to, mm-hmm. you know, make something. Top, top, top. That's yeah. 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 And it uses that as the percussion in the music. Um, and there's another later moment in the film that does something similar where they're building this temple and it uses all the sounds of that construction to then form this layer of percussion. It's a really, really great um, mm. use on the score. Yeah, Keiichi Suzuki is the guy who did the score. Where would you know that from, Matthew? Tokyo Godfather. Tokyo fucking Godfather. <laughs> you. Recommended on our Christmas yeah. live stream. You haven't checked that out. Yeah. Tokyo Godfathers, another fucking masterpiece. Go and, go and check that out. Yeah. Um, also, did the music for Earthbound and Mother, the video games. Oh the 90s. wow! Like some of the most influential and sought after, vi- sought after yeah. video yeah. game scores and video games in general. Yeah. ever as well. Mm. Um. Another person who you might recognize uh, if you take the time to go watch Zatoichi is uh, Tadanobu Asano, mm. uh, who who essentially plays the one other capable fighter uh, in the village as a, a ronin uh, named Hattori Gensuko. Uh, Back to fucking that shitty 47 ronin again. Yeah. Uh, and also Hogan in the Thor films. Oh yeah, I should point out this guy's been in like he was in the most recent Mortal Kombat. He's, he's, yes, he's, he's, he's Raiden, 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 Raiden. Yeah, yeah. he's in the killer. killer. He's yeah. in yeah. Silence, the Martin Scorsese film. He's yeah. in a fuck ton of stuff. He's amazing. Yeah, fucking yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, uh, and he's really great in this. He plays this Ronin who is sort of not part of this criminal organization, but kind of forced to be part of it. And he's the like mm. I say, he's mm. the one capable person, the one person who is capable of offering some kind of challenge to Zatoichi. Yep. Um. And it's kind of his whole arc in it uh, and his wife who is sick is very tragic in this film um, yeah, and quite dark. Um, and yeah, and then there is these bits of humour. There is uh, Shinkichi, this this nephew of the woman that Zatoichi is staying with, mm-hmm. um, played by uh, Guadalcanal Taka, um, who is this gambler, basically, inveterate gambler, gambler, there's a great sequence where Zatoichi is gambling and he's listening to the dice and he's able to predict. They're playing a game where like person th- throws the dice in a cup, a pair of dice, and everybody bets on whether the total is odd or even. Very simple game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Zatoichi is able to listen so closely that he can hear the, how the dice fall and gets it right every time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And <laughs> this uh, uh, the, 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 the nephew... Is like, oh, he's amazing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen to the dice too. Comes down. It's like there's this scene where he's like, let me listen. Let me sit here and listen. Okay. And there's this confrontation between him and the kind of the the gambling hall runners. And he's like, no, okay. Let me think. That last dice sound was okay. I'm gonna put it all on odd. And then they lift up the cup and go even. And it just without a word, he just gets up and just walks away from yeah. the thing. Yeah. Just walks out and he's like. It's, it's one of those anime meme moments of like, yep, nope. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. And then there's another great moment where he's trying to teach these three other people in the village how to fight. Um, and he's they're kind of equipped with these just like bamboo sticks. And they he's like, okay, come at, I'm going to show you how to fight. Come at me. And they all just bonk him on the head. 
And mm. he's like, no, 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 that, that's too fast. I wasn't prepared. Not all three of you at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't prepared. Yeah, yeah. He's like, okay, I'm going to put my, my stick here and you hit it. Okay, now I'm going to put it here and you hit it. Now I'm going to put it here and you hit it. Okay, let's do it. And start going around the pattern and then and it, and it builds up this bonk, 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 bonk pattern as he's doing it. And yeah. then slowly the timing gets messed up and it's just all three of them hitting him on the head and him like yeah. frantically waving the stick around. <laughs> Very good physical comedy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially it is this sort of revenge film, you know, like I say, it's very simple narrative wise, but yeah. Beats Keshi, a great director, the stylized violence that just, and it, and it's so, so tuned into that sense of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, it's that thing of like, very few people can stand up to Zatoichi and nobody and nobody expects him to be so capable so he he kind of always has people at a disadvantage um and it's only when it's the ronin at the end who kind of doesn't underestimate him that there's any kind of challenge and that he's injured a, a little bit mm. um and uh yeah just i mean it's it's a great film and uh like i say amazing score mm. um and the poster for it which i remember is this kind of iconic and as a dvd cover Mm. is this great it's like him in black robes on a black background so it's kind of all black and then you've just got this like sweep of his sword and the blood trailing off of it and that shock of like white blonde hair that he's got on the top yeah yeah it's Uh, bold as fuck yeah a Mm. great film it was gonna be was gonna be one of my picks tim Fucking love that movie. Mm. I think it's one of my dad's favorite films of all time. That particular or, one, or just that particular. Yeah, yeah. Zotoichi, yeah. Mm. He loves Beat Takeshi in general, and yeah, I love mean that, that guy's fucking. Zotoichi. I mean, uh, we'll have to. I, I, I always keep on putting it I've got so many. Yeah, I've got. His I've just looked. I've been searching for them as we've been talking about. I'm like, yeah, oh, that one is Mac on that one. There's, and there's yeah, a I film Takeshi Kitano collection up there, as in your Blu-ray collection. <laughs> there's a film on the uh, on the master list, which I don't know if we'll ever get around to. Um, which is the kids' return, um, and it's because again, it's, it's Takeshi Kitano, uh, uh, Kitano, 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 Kitano uh, directing these really beautiful uh, stories about violence and gangsters and people, and, and like again, Hanabi is amazing. The man's a, a genius. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, and also in a crappy Ghost in the Shell movie. Um, <laughs> well, actually, a middling Ghost. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. An underwhelming ghost in the show. That's really exactly the word we lose. Yeah. Okay. Matt. Hey, Tim. Bring us home. All right. Final film. Um, I would say this is a really, really difficult one because it's a 2002 movie, and it's also one of the best samurai movies ever made. Um. I don't think anybody's ever seen it. <laughs> Including Matt. Including he's me. not sure why he's talking about it. It's not real. No, no. Uh, very few people have seen it, and it's almost impossible to get a hold of. I don't own it. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Not for lack of trying. <laughs> um, yeah, there's like America editions and things like that. You don't get versions of it, but I, I want a good Blu-ray edition of this movie. Um, and it pains me that we don't have it. Although, no, you know. 2022, 20th anniversary, maybe we'll get something. So the film is called The Twilight Samurai. 
and it's directed by Yoji Yamada and it stars Hiroyuki Sanada. Yeah, boy. My fucking boy. Um, it is arguably the best, most realistic depiction of the life, customs, and rules of samurai life. Um, and it is a somber, slow burn movie about the end of an era for the samurai. Yeah, it very much plays on a lot of what the late Western stuff would do, where it's yeah. that crossover to like, here comes the industrial age. Yeah. All your cowboys are going to be redundant in like yeah. 18 months. The maps are getting Get filled off your in. your fucking horses. People are driving cars now. Yeah. Like, the, it's the Civilize early, yourselves, the early 20th yeah. century. Stop riding horses and shooting people in the streets, you idiots. Yeah. And the samurai went through that similar period as well. Again, it's like the, it's illegal. Yeah. Again, with the demilitarization of Japan and all that mm. kind of stuff, they were all transformed from, oh, every clan and every family has their like defender and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, you can't just be carrying a sword around anymore, motherfuckers. It's like I think it was like you the can't eight- take a sword on an airplane. Exactly. It was like the eighteen sixties, eighteen eighties, something like that, yes, going into yes. the the early sort of twentieth century. Mm. And I'm gonna go off ever so slightly on a tangent here because I just think it's funny. Go on. The fax machine and samurais existed at the same time, very briefly. <laughs> I love that fact. Yeah. That Japan was just holding on to the samurai to the last breath. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, you know, we got fax machines, right? We can send we can send messages across the world. It's incredible. Yeah, but we got katanas, so that's pretty cool. We got loads of like honor and glory and stuff. Look look how this katana slices apart your fax machine. <laughs> yeah. Rock beats paper and samurai sword also beats paper and fax sword, machine. Sword beats it. Fax machine. Yeah. But yes, please. Twilight Samurai, I think. It's a really interesting one because you're totally right about being the most somber of all of our picks. It's so maudlin. It's way, it's way more of yeah. a drama than a action or even like a crime drama kind of thing. Yeah. It's so based on... A, a critic once described it as the sunset from the land of the rising sun. Where it's mm. like literally the idea that That's it very is poetic. the... I said that. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was rubbish. Damn it. Um, yeah, no, I, the idea that it's like it is the true end of an era and there's no going back sort of thing. Um, and and you're, you're right, Jack, it, it does hit those really mournful, sorrowful notes because the story itself about Sebe, the central character, kind of in a bit of way like the, the Harakiri story, it's saying like, this is an individual who's fallen on hard times. He is a samurai. Everything through and through, born, bred, samurai. And yet he can barely make ends meet. He's impoverished. He's looking after his two kids. His wife's dead. And his mum's basically senile. And he can't keep it all going. He doesn't shave his head very often because you've had the, the whole like shaved top of the head and the top knot because of how you'd set a helmet on that sort of thing. Yada, yada, yada. Um, he doesn't wash. His clothes are raggedy. He's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm just trying to take care of my kids. And it's like, what? That's, that's not really a samurai. So I was like, yes, it's the most samurai story, in fact. And he works um, in a very bureaucratic life, um, just keeping stock of stuff, basically. Um, and it gets really out of hand. So basically, he reconnects with his childhood friend, Tomoe, and um, mentioned Mishima, uh, the author. A lot of his books reference these kind of fleeting moments of like, well... I'm not really allowed to marry you because of situation and circumstance, but I want to because I love you. But also, no, 
yeah, you know, the almost Shakespearean crossover, like, well, I can't. And then two minutes later, maybe we can get married now. I'm already engaged to someone else now. For fuck's sake! Um, back and forth in this sort of crippling beauty of it all. Um, and then he gets involved in a duel accidentally. And we talk about the, the standoff, the, the beautiful. This kind of doesn't have that. It has a more grounded version where... Well, yeah, it makes sense for what the film's trying to do. Exactly. So he turns up and this, this, this guy challenges him and he's like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. If we do this with swords, someone's going to die. And that's uh, a problem. Because mm. either I kill you, which is going to cause a load of bullshit, or yeah. you kill me. And, and then I'm dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not having this. I'm bringing a wooden sword or a bucket and a little mm. thing. It's like, you, excuse me? It's like, yeah, I'm not going to fight you. You can use your sword. That's fine. But I'm not going to do it. So they have this fight. And as I said, if this was a real sword, you'd be dead. And the guy is obviously sh shamed mm. by the whole situation and then tries to sort of cheap low blows and he knocks him out. He goes, right, I'm going to hop home now. Fuck this. It's like, you didn't draw your sword. That's dishonorable. How dare you? And word gets around and shit just escalates and everyone comes after him for it. Mm. And he's just like, I just, I just want to look after my kids. Leave me mm. the fuck alone. Um, kind, uh, John Wick is the wrong analogy, but Keanu Reeves, sad Keanu Reeves kind of makes mm. sense as well at the same time. Um, sitting on a bench, um, eating his sandwiches. But this then builds and grows and we learn more and more. And as similar to the Harakiri thing, we could turn up that he's actually sold his sword to pay for some medicine food and also mm. to, to, to keep it for his family and it's like you can't do that that's like shameful it's like well he never takes it out he has the short sword though the tiniest mm, yeah. one he has his kodachi doesn't he yeah, exactly yeah. and then it's like don't be using that on me you motherfucker that's mm -hmm. for killing yourself and that's, that, that's not for fighting with so if I'm trained mm. it's like I don't care yeah I, I love that it subverts that expectation with again not to spoil too much oh, but there, there's, yep. a, there's a duel there where the he has the the single sword style yes. without the short sword squares up against the essentially wooden long sword of more of a blocking technique mm -hmm. and the kadachi, which is the short sword, which is not a traditional samurai thing. It's more of a commoner thing. Yes. That's that's the kind of sword that farmers would have if they needed to join like a militia or whatever. Yes. That is the commoner's way of fighting and only the samurai would brandish the proper full katana. Yeah. Eo mm. katana is the full like samurai mm -hmm. again it's tying back to the nobility and the shame and mm. yeah status kind of symbols and status stuff. symbols exactly Tim yeah. yeah tying into all of that stuff whereas uh Sebe, which is Twilight and Twilight Samurai mm -hmm. um they like keep calling him Twilight which I love in the mm -hmm. in the yeah. subtitles. It's like he says fuck the rules basically and in a similar way that we've already touched on in a couple of examples mm that is the most samurai thing you can do because he's looking after his mum. Yep. Who, she, 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 she's dying or has dementia or she something? Dementia like? yeah, 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 I remember that. Um, she's, she's going to die, but it's a long, slow decline. Yeah, yeah. And, it's and he's trying to make draining, her as yeah. comfortable as possible, but it's very harrowing, <laughs> yes. as you can imagine. Of course. He's got his wife and his daughters and like trying to look after his... Yeah, because his wife's dead, his daughters, like, but he's also got this other connection with this sort of, kind of girlfriend not yeah, really the girlfriend, I mean, he wants yeah, to be yeah. in a fashion way but, and his friends there's so much there and it's about protecting the people and the reason he gets them as jewels because he knows his friend isn't going to win yeah he's like oh fuck I'll take your place it'll be fine oh fucking hell okay yeah exactly yeah and, um, and the, yeah. the fact that how we touched upon um, again we're going back to the Donnie Evan episode because we're talking yeah. about martial arts and stuff sure 
uh, talking about how the, I can't remember what one it was. It was the knife versus nightstick fight we were talking about with the, the length of the weapon makes such a difference. Oh, in yeah, yeah. In my pick, yes. And yeah. how you can really choreograph a scene around the types of weapons. Whereas mm. so often weapons are just used in, in choreography where it's just like, oh, it's a sword fight. It looks they'll, cool. Smash, smash, smash. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Two big swords. They'll smash each other. Yeah. Smash, smash, smash. Twilight Samurai takes such a grounded, realistic depiction of how actually fighting with swords and mm. like inside these tiny little houses or mm. izakayas or whatever, yeah. like these tiny yeah. little mm. taverns and pubs. And it's like, yeah, if you, you kill a dude because you're five inches from him and you just shoved a sword through his gut, like, <laughs> yeah. That you only need that little short mm. sword when you're that close to each other, mm. and in some ways, having a big sword in such a small space is actually restrictive it's almost detrimental. And, and yeah. detrimental to your fighting style. And yeah, tying into how like the guy with the sword is so regimented and so like, well, no, 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 I'm a samurai. I must use the. Mm. I must use my ear katana. I have to use this. This is a symbol of my status mm. and my my clan and all this mm. kind of stuff and you not drawing yours is insulting me yeah yeah, yeah you, you're you're d dishonoring yourself you're dishonoring me this is not a proper duel i don't accept and even yeah, to the point yeah. where like he stops fighting back and it's a whole thing almost like mm. the again tying into the whole concept of like honorable death and all that kind of stuff yeah and keeps goading him into this fight over and over again and it finally culminates again in this brilliant like flash of violence and realism yeah. and all this kind of stuff it's an amazing subversion of what you expect from the typical samurai fights. Mm. There's no showy, like, big wide shots. It's all tight spaces and it's, uncomfortable and realistic. And the camera doesn't and... always follow the action. Exactly, Sometimes yeah. things will happen in a different room and you'll be like, what's going on? Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, they're back again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's such an interesting take on this genre. I think it's really fitting. It's the last pick of our on our uh, yeah, well, yeah 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 because it is so subversive and different yeah. and unusual With, without spoiling the ending it's a fucking downer <laughs> um i would have guessed yeah from the, uh, yeah <laughs> from the yeah so it carries on um and the 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 um denouement is that it has this very anticlimactic sort of end Mm. After you get this really interesting, in terms of like cool sword fights, mm. they're there, but there aren't many, and they don't mm. take, last very long. And and again, they're more grounded and very much and so. realistic. There. Yeah, it's not multiple seven versus a hundred or whatever. No, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, from from thirteen assassins down to this, is <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, yeah, thirteen exactly. versus yeah, two hundred yeah, yeah. or whatever it is, to one on one, mm. uh, in a confined space. And the idea that it's like, okay, here's the finale pretty miserable so it is pretty miserable and then it cuts to um it's like an epilogue isn't it an epilogue yeah. like 60 70 years later and you're like wait what the fuck um and it says this happened afterwards didn't work out and it's like what <laughs> and it even says that this this individual's life it reassesses the whole thing and says you know had there been two or three things that happened differently would have been like this uh, repositioning of a, an amazing tale and an amazing mm. story, but instead it's just a case of like, oh yeah, no, just this thing all sort of petered out. And yeah. the thing is, um, because of the Bushin War took place, and that was when the sort of the samurai fought against that each other, the, the Civil War, the big mm. Civil War, yeah, yeah. And then it was like, right, we're done here. 
we're modernizing. Shinsengumi are taking over the military, etc. Tokugawa motherfuckers. Exactly. So, um, although no, that would be Meiji. But yes. Um, so the yeah, thing is the that, end of the Tokugawa. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And so there, there's two disconnected sequels called The Hidden Blade and Love and Honor, which are just as fucking difficult to acquire. Don't have Hideki Sanada, and they're sort of thematic trilogy. Yeah, thing. very yeah. much so, but still very good. Not as good, but still extremely good. Mm. Um, but as I said, it is very, very difficult to get a hold of. Mm. Um, and depressing when you do. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> invest and go, that's great. Oh, no. Um, it, it's one of those things where someone's like, oh, we're going to do a film about Bushido or sword fighting or, or Japanese samurai culture. And like, this is the one. Mm. Yeah. And <laughs> Hiroki Sanada was in this in 2002. And then as a cool badass support in 2003 in The Last Samurai. And you're <laughs> like, ah, yeah. That guy knows what he's doing. Range. That's range. Damn right. Well, yeah, that's a good place to end, Matt. It is perfect. Um, good luck finding any of these films, listeners. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I mean, some of them are reasonably some easy of the, to... Some of them you can find on, on, the, on the streaming services and on the other internet things. Yeah. <clears throat> but <laughs> yeah, YouTube. if you have any suggestions, if you're a big fan of samurai films, please do let us know. Hit us up on social I th- media. I think if you're in the UK, stuff. the uh, BFI has a bunch um, of Kurosawa on there at the moment. Yes, they're the ones who have the rights to the Blu-rays and things like that. Yeah, all the not really criteria and nonsense and all yeah, that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, there you go. Go and check out the BFI player if you're here in the UK. I'm sure there's ways you can find it in the US as well, some obscure streaming service. There's a streaming service for every fucking genre. I think I'll have DVD and Blu-ray over there. It's whatever the samurai equivalent of Shudder is. Because there, there was one for martial arts. We talked about that in the Donnie oh, M one. Yes. Like, yes. Oh, it turns out there is one. It's called like, pow, or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's some onomatopoeic thing, because of course it is. But yeah, if you have seen any of these, you haven't seen any of these, if you then go out and watch them because of our recommendations, please do let us know. Yeah. Hit us up on yeah. social media. We're sequelizers on Twitter, mm. Instagram, Facebook, or it, all the usual places. If you've got any other interesting samurai films mm, that yes. you think we'd enjoy. I'm sure. I'm sure there are plenty of other recommendations. Matt's probably but... seen them, but he'll enjoy talking about them. Yes. Yeah. Matt I will. Seen them, but he, he likes talking about it. <laughs> At so it's great fine. length. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there will certainly be a big discussion about this on the Discord as well. You can find the links to all that kind of stuff, including the live stream I mentioned earlier, including all the Discord stuff, the shop, the social media, all that stuff at sequelizers.com. You click on the little Discord button. There's a little invite button on that page, and it'll take you through straight through, and you can join the Discord. And it's a lovely community of people. It's one one of the things I'm most proud of from this podcast is having a fantastic community of oh, yeah. lovely Absolutely. listeners and yeah. patrons and the three of us all coming together and, and chatting about stuff. And it's not just films. You can talk about video games. You can talk about politics or sports or pets. pets. Or... There's, there's a whole pet channel of cute cats and cute dogs and Babies. a few ferrets and stuff. There's a parenting channel now because we're at that age and we're <laughs> in our 30s. So yeah, our listeners yeah. are also having babies and stuff. It's a whole thing. Support network. Yeah, it's a it's a literal support network. So please do come and join us on Discord. It's a lovely time. Uh, I mentioned Patreon at the top of the show. If you can support us financially, if you can't, please do give us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or whatever it is. Mm. Give us five stars. We very much appreciate it. I noticed we got a new five star review the other day on Apple Podcasts. Oh, that was very exciting. Haven't had one in a while, so that was nice. I always like the one saying five stars. I hate it. <laughs> there was a, there was a one star review I kept reading to people, and that new five star review has now knocked that out of like the top three preview. I was uh, like, good. oh, thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, if you are able to, please do give us a review on there. 
if you want to follow me personally on social media, I am JLW Chambers on everything. I also host an SEO and digital marketing podcast with my colleague Mark. It is called Search with Candor. If you work in that industry or if you're interested, please do come and follow us there as well. Matt, how can people find you on the internet? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z on all the various social media bits and pieces. Um, trying to work out some maths in my head. Oh, yeah, there we go. Um, so <laughs> you can go to the red right hand at Cody K to read my reviews. You can go to cheeseman.com to see the things that I make. You can search out Sumo Drop. Some people are asking how to get that. That's some, uh, the Sumo Wrestling podcast I do with my wife and a handful of other people sometimes. Um, it's under the BBG Wrestling uh, umbrella. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that little network. Um, and the episode for the most recent Basho uh, or tournament for March, if you're listening to this on Patreon on day of release, it was up this weekend. If you're listening to this on the uh, regular update on like Spotify, we'll have you get this, your podcast catcher. It was on Sunday. So you get literally in the moment. So if you think yourself, yeah, I've liked all this weave stuff. I like it a little bit more, please. I'll go from Samurai to Sumo. Why not? Yeah, it's about military and you know honor. When when, when you made a Yokozuna, Japanese lads slapping each other about. Yeah, when you made a Yokozuna, you're given a sword, and like you're Japan, the best friend. man. Yeah, <laughs> and in theory, when the Gyoji, the referee, if he made a wrong call, he has yeah, to have a sword him. on him to kill himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't do that anymore, uh, thankfully. Anyway, they that's do me. still carry the Kadashi, don't they? The they referees, do, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, Japan, because Japan. Uh, so that's me. That's my stuffs. Tim, I have no segue. <laughs> My Twitter ID is trivia underscore lad, and I have neither the power of God nor anime on my side. There it is. Very good. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week, as I said, with a Patreon pick. An executive producer has chosen the topic for next week. Another interseason. And there's a connection to stuff mm. we've talked about this week. Isn't there, Josh? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> very good, very good. There. And as we said, we're getting closer to season 10. So strap yourselves in and get ready for that coming in a few weeks' time as well. Fast 10, your seatbelts. Jesus. It's like the Fast and Furious franchise over here. Christ Jesus, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) Japan. That'll be one for the uh, full-length episode, people. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Sayonara. Sayonara.